Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I'm Mr. Warren Hayes, and get ready, get ready, get ready. We are going to be talking about professional wrestling for quite a bit tonight. <laughs> right here on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. We're recording this on May 23rd. Hope you are all having a good start to your week. And thank you for listening to this on YouTube. If you are right now, I appreciate it a great deal. Uh, consider leaving a like because those things are great. Also consider uh, subscribing to the channel because those things are great as well. They help grow the channel tremendously. You may be listening to this on your favorite podcast application. Uh, thank you very much if you do. Again, five-star reviews there on Apple Podcasts and five-star ratings help out a great deal. I want to shout out, by the way, uh, uh, Uncle Soki, who recently left a very lovely and very thoughtful uh, review on uh, on Apple Podcasts, a five-star review, of course. And I wanted to say thank you very much because, look, it, it doesn't take much to make a content creator happy uh, and sometimes a few kind words and those five little golden stars uh, just make your week. And it really did. So thank you very much, Uncle Soki. I hope you are listening right now. Uh, and hey, uh, you know, you can also... Uh, continue all these conversations and continue chatting about pro wrestling and so on and so forth not just on reviews and whatnot but in the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord which is available right now and you can join for free without any gimmicks no strings attached it's all there right in the description I don't know if you know this I don't know if you saw this go by but I recorded my AEW Double or Nothing 2023 preview show and I was joined by uh, Jesse Collings of the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast and WrestleNomics fellow voices of wrestling contributor uh he joined me for again a long stretch of audio but great deep dive audio into the uh into the big big show that's happening this weekend for all elite wrestling check it out it's available right now on your podcast feeds on youtube as well uh and just jump right in let me know what you think enjoy it drop some comments send some uh Send some Discord DMs. Let me know what you think about AEW Dynamite and how Jesse and I did. It was a pleasure to have Jesse. He's such a great guest. Very knowledgeable, smart guy. So he elevated the whole thing is what I'm trying to say. Um, so check that out. That was a good time. Also, uh, so on top of uh, on top of all of that, on top of the you know the, the AEW uh, stuff, uh, I also have uh, uh, my Voices of Wrestling articles that you can go read uh, my recent being on my most recent being about uh evil and how he should be belted up again plus on top of that AEW dynamite review shows happen every thursday this is going to be the go home show for uh AEW uh, uh double or nothing this weekend so be sure to be there that should be out on thursday uh barring a disaster no it should it should absolutely be there just in a couple of days but tonight holy smokes listen CM Punk, Nick Khan, New Japan Strong Resurgence, uh, and uh, 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 NXT Battleground, Battleground Preview. Brush strokes. We go through a lot of stuff. There's a little more to that as well. But uh, that's what we're doing. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you have a good time. Weekly Wrestling Inspection starts now. <laughs> But God, oh God, Lord Almighty save us. Once again this week, we must continue speaking on CM Punk. 
So, if you're a member of the Mr. Warren Hay Show channel, you will, and you were there for, or you will listen to um, to the Going Broadway show this Friday. Maybe there's going to be some things that are that sound familiar to you because the CM Punk stuff all happened last Wednesday, the day after I record the podcast, right? So all of this went down on Thursday, and then it spilled into on Wednesday, and it spilled into Thursday, and 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 all this junk. We all hope there's a Pepsi shortage at some point. But the the announcement, let, let's I'm going to do my best. Okay, this is the Warren Hayes promise here is that I'm going to do my best to make sure that everything is is clear and in order because this is the messiest situation I could I, I could you you could you could ever think of. Myself, like I think even those of us expecting Phil Brooks to do nutty stuff never expected it to be this uh, to to go this hard. Anyway, let's uh, let's go ahead here. So the announcement for Collision happened at the Warner Brothers upfronts last week. He said the show is coming, but no deal. No TV deal was announced. I don't think, I think most people, I don't, I don't want to say I don't think anyone, but I think most people weren't necessarily expecting an announcement of a television deal at the upfronts specifically. But I think a lot of people, including myself, were expecting something to end up into the trades, maybe put in a press release, or at the very least leaked. But we got none of that. But we did get the announcement for Collision. Uh, let me read off just a few lines of the press release. We're not going to go through the whole thing because probably by now you've seen slash read it a couple of times. TNT launches a second night of wrestling with AEW Collision featuring headliners Thunder Rosa, Miro, Samoa Joe, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Andrade El Idolo. On Saturday, June 17th. It was announced today, on May 17th, of course, by Kathleen Finch, Chairman and Chief Content Officer, U.S. Networks Group, Warner Bros. Discovery, during the company's 2023 upfront presentation at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Didn't Dave say it was at the Hulu Theater next to Madison Square Garden? <coughs> so, someone's, someone's working the marks here. Um, uh, the live two-hour in-ring show will air every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern and feature more wrestlers, more stories, more action to super serve fans. AEW Collision will feature headliners including Miro, Samoa Joe, Thunder Rosa, Powerhouse, Hobbs, and Andrade, El Idolo. Only four years following the launch of AEW Dynamite, AEW's footprint has more than doubled across TNT and TBS, along with AEW Dynamite Friday Night's AEW Rampage, the recent follow doc AEW All Access, and now AEW Collision. TNT and TBS deliver the best matches and most entertaining moments in professional wrestling today. AEW has reached 23 million total viewers this year across the... So... Um... 
So that's something that that indeed happened, and uh, and and it is a big deal, right? And this is what we were expecting, and uh, and that's good news. They they took the time to uh, to announce at the same time that uh, they to announce new dates is what I'm trying to say. They announced new dates in in conjunction with the new tapings for this new show, including but not limited to. Uh, a collision in Toronto at the uh, Scotiabank Center the night before Forbidden Door 2 and the Prudential Center. So, you know, these are non-negligible arenas. So, I'm, you know, we're reading all of this and all is super interesting and uh, and then, uh, you know, it sort of dawns on us, you know, ah, we love Samoa Joe, we love Thunder Rosa, you know, Andrade is, you know, split down the middle. Where's CM Punk? What whatever happened to Phil Brooks? Why is he not on this press release? Where did where did he come from? Where did he go? And I'm like, oh, press release mishap. That's what I was thinking. Look, because look, this is part of what I do for a living. I do these these kinds of uh, communications uh, on a daily basis, and. Most of the time, press releases are, you know, they're always, there's always a level of stress to them, but most of the time it's like, yeah, we'll get this stuff out, etc. You get everything, you get all your ducks in order, and usually the night before you're all right. But it does happen, it does happen that, um, it does happen sometimes that changes are done until the very, uh, until the very last possible moment especially when you're in very high pressure very high octane situations sometimes until the very last minute when it's time to press the button and send the things out press send on the email you're going to get you know within the hour beforehand you might get three to four extra revisions so i'm looking at this and i'm like oh there's a press release mishap because some people in media got a version of the communication that included CM Punk, but the one that was distributed was completely uh, had him had CM Punk completely scrubbed from the entire press release. How you doing, Conrad? Love everything pro wrestling. It's good to see you and welcome. So, so I'm 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 just shrugging. I'm going. Well, it's not unheard of. It's not impossible. It doesn't bother me. It's not like. As someone who works in that field, I'm like, it happens. So, sucks, but it's time to move along, kind of thing. But then it comes out Tuesday. But then it comes out, excuse me. And I believe it is Mike Johnson. It is Mike... Hang on. I believe it is Mike Johnson of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Pro Wrestling Insider. I always get those two messed up. How can you not get the? They're both PWI. And my go-to PWI is Pro Wrestling Illustrated. But Pro Wrestling Illustrated isn't in the scoopsies. They don't do scoopsies. They do coverage. They do uh, opinion. That's what they do. PWI, Mike Johnson, he's in the scoopsies. So, Mike Johnson, Pro Wrestling Insider. And has it come out? He says that it, 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 we learn that... On the Tuesday before the upfront, so the day before the upfronts last Wednesday, 
Tony Khan and CM Punk had a heated meeting. And it was all smoothed over by Wednesday, though, according to Dave Meltzer, who basically also said that CM Punk was going to be announced at the upfronts. Mike Johnson, on the day of the upfronts, when everyone is like, where the hell is CM Punk? Mike Johnson, you know, does the reporter thing, starts making some calls, and he's like, hey, why didn't... uh, how come uh, uh, CM Punk wasn't on your wasn't on the up uh, wasn't on your list? Well, how come he wasn't on the upfronts? Why wasn't he in the release? And he is told that CM Punk was not there because the disagreement he had with Tony Khan was around the return of Ace Steel. The Ed Leslie to CM Punk's Hulk Hogan rears his head around. So the accepted rumor at this point, how you doing, Fretz, Mr. Fretz? Good to see you, Fretz. The accepted rumor was that Ace Steel was supposed to get back on the road with Collision. They were supposed to get that uh, get that uh, boy back on his horse, hitting the old trail with the with you know. Marshall Punk and his uh, and his posse, but wires got crossed, and a steel was sent home. A steel was like, "No, you cannot, you cannot do this," and Punk was unhappy, so he hit the bricks, and he was like, "Fuck you, this is not happening." My. I am go- I am about to wager the health of a multi-million dollar deal and a brand new TV show and the future stake of this company on the fact that you are not bringing my friend back. Okay. All right. By the way, it's also pointed out at this moment in time. Okay? At this moment, last Wednesday, last Thursday, that this was apparently a steel returning to the company was offered up as an olive branch by Chris Jericho during the the meeting that TK and 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 CM Punk and FTR and Chris Jericho had to sort of mediate the situation. What can we do to work together? What needs to be done? And apparently. Uh, Jericho Jericho offered it up as a way, you know, to cool things down. You know, it's like, look, we could add this into the deal. Okay. But then we heard that it was lawyers who got involved. So it's not just Tony Khan telling uh, CM Punk, hey, you know what? Your boy Ace, he's not hitting the road with us. We're, We're telling him to stay home. That's not exactly what happened. What happened was lawyers tipped everyone off and there was miscommunication within the lawyers and they were like, no, A. Steel cannot come back. And we don't know why. There could be, a, for legitimately, there could be a multitude of reasons why A. Steel was told to go back home. And it could be as basic as, uh, uh, it could be as basic as the, uh, 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 the, uh, it could really be as basic as certain paperwork hasn't been filled out yet, so we can't, 
we can't have you, uh, we can't have you come back, you know, kind of thing. We, that's the that's the kind of stuff we, you know, we don't know about. But lawyers got involved. Lawyers were still involved in this situation, a situation where we were told, you know, people were, you know, were talking and everything was being smoothed out. And all of a sudden, we've got lawyers back into the situation. So everyone is trying to piece together things, trying to understand what the hell is going on. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, from out of left field, we have Nick Houseman off of his new website, The House of Wrestling. By the way, hello, King of the North. Member for 20 months of the Mr. Warren Hay Show. Good to see you. You got, you got some scoops, huh? Okay. And Pluggo, between two beards. Nice to see you. So I have this article that was that was written by Nick Houseman regarding this whole situation. Now, you will recall Nick Houseman being the guy that uh, CM Punk called on at the All Out presser and uh, you know tried to corner him and tell oh you're you're one you know you hang out with Colt. He tried to get him to say you hang out with Colt and. and you know, you're friends with Colt, uh, Colt Cabana, and he's, no, I'm not, you know, but you do improv, right? Yeah, but not with Colt anyway. Anyway. So, Hausman runs down the situation a little bit, and he's talking about the, he, you know, he breaks down the situation at the upfronts. Let's read the article verbatim, or at least part of it. One of those issues was said to be Ace Steel's status with the company. Apparently, at a recent sit-down meeting between Chris Jericho and Punk, Jericho floated the idea of bringing Steel back into the AEW fold as a means to ease tensions to get everyone back to work. House of Wrestling can confirm that Ace Steel was rehired by AEW, quote, several months ago, unquote, but has not been actively working in the backstage area. Steele was terminated by the company shortly after the locker room altercation following AEW All Out, but was rehired shortly thereafter. Upon Steele's rehiring, he was told he would not, he was told he would be working with Tony Khan on creative in some capacity, but his presence backstage would upset some of the talent. So for that reason, Steele has been working remotely for the company for the past few months. Not unlike Vince McMahon. <laughs> there was an understanding in place. Again, this is also the report. I'm still reading, reading verbatim Nick Hosman's article. There was an understanding in place that once AEW Collision debuted, Steele would return to the road for AEW working as an agent on that brand. Don't call it a brand. However... On Tuesday, this decision was made, the decision was made not to bring Steel back on the road with the promotion and Punk learned of it shortly thereafter. Following that, there was some miscommunication between lawyers and subsequently pulled, Punk was pulled from the collision announcement. That said, Punk is still with AEW and it sounds like he is motivated and wants to help in the company's growth however he can. 
Punk's relationship with Tony Khan also appears to be on sound footing with no issues between the two men and communication remaining open. I still highly doubt, this is the editorial part from Warren Hayes here, I would still highly doubt saying communication remaining open when you have lawyers still talking for, between themselves in regards to these issues. I wouldn't exactly call it, you know, open and everything is like, you know, clearly there was an idea of smooth, smoothing things down here. So, the bombshell that was dropped here was that Steele was back months ago. Months ago at this point. Now, you see what happened here? You, you, see, what, you, you see what occurred here? We got a little, bit of, a little bit of negative news coming out regarding old punker here. And then what happens? The punk camp starts reaching out. They start throwing out their feelers. They start talking to the journalists they want to talk to, right? Because they don't talk to everyone. They talk to, to the journalists they want to, to get their story out, to get their side of the story out. Oh, Ace Steel was in. Yeah, that's right. Which is strange. So, everything blows up on Tuesday. Again, at this point, in, in, in this point of our tale here, this is what we know, that we're like, this is like Thursday or so. We've, we know that, um, we know that, uh, well, we, we've been, it's been reported that uh, the, um, that the press release, CM Punk, Tony Khan, have a falling out on Tuesday. Tony changes all the plans, gets in touch with Warner Brothers Discovery, tells them, strike CM Punk off the, off the graphics, strike CM Punk out of the press release. This is what we're doing now. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and that's it moving forward. We get to, to Wednesday night and um, uh, Tony Khan announces, uh, the, uh, announces collision. He announces the new dates, but he fails to mention two specific details. The starting date for Collision, which is June, June 17, which is reported in the press release. He didn't mention uh, uh, where it was going to be launched. There have been rumors circulating, very reliable reports, that the United Center has been booked on June 17, which, you know pointed into the direction of CM Punk returning, especially since the the, the new show, the, 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 the first show of Collision is supposed to be called The Second Coming. Like, you know, I don't think they're talking about Jesus Christ. So, this is where we're, this is where we, where we were at right now. And we learn on top of that, that Warner Bros. is, is, is reportedly to have been annoyed at the changes. They're like, what the hell? In the meantime, the elite aren't talking. They're not saying a word. They are not saying a, 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 a is not saying a, a, a singular, small, tiny word. They're not speaking to the audience. They're not speaking to reporters. 
complete silence. And you can, this is essentially, the, the reporters are being very thinly veiled on who they're talking to at this point. Like Dave is outright saying, outright saying, these are people from the punk side who are speaking to me and people who don't usually talk to me from the punk side are talking to me and so on and so forth. But you never ever hear, we've heard from the side of the elite. We've heard from the elite camp. It is always the punk camp. Punk camp should be one word now. Sounds German. There's no counter messaging. So we're not hearing anything else from the other side because the other side is not touching this with a 10-foot pole. Anyway. The days go on. CM Punk hits up Instagram and does some posts going after Brian Alvarez and I'm not going into that. I'm not... If, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, good for you. That's fine. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not deep diving into this. I'm not, you know, trying to rebuild the events that happened in fucking 2006 at this point. Like, bullshit that happened. But, the, you know, the, he went after Brian Alvarez for things that happened in 2006. The long story short is Alvarez was reporting, was doing two things. He was reporting... On one hand, that CM Punk was getting a bit of a reputation in OVW as being a bit of a womanizer. Where he date he date one female athlete from AEW and then you know uh, uh, go around sleeping with others. Right, that's one thing. That's something that Alvarez had reported back then, and Alvarez was also doing a bit back then where he was in love with Maria Canellis or. Uh, yeah, Maria Canellis, uh, um, uh, back in the day, that was a bit. And it just so happened that at the same time, CM Punk was um, dating Maria Canellis. So he didn't like that. He didn't like any of it. And he, he's been carrying this grudge against Alvarez since the mid-2000s because of this. And Punk just explodes on him again, out of nowhere, pulling out receipts, emails, 15 year old plus emails he's pulling those out in 2023 because he's beefing and I'm just putting this out here like I said I don't want to spend time on this there's other podcasts and other you know, discords and whatnot that you can you can you twitter you can go talk about this just about anywhere. I don't think this is interesting. I think it's good drama, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's interesting in the context of everything that's truly happening in the business sense, but it's worth mentioning to continue to establish the pattern of behavior of CM Punk and his grudges. Because there are a lot of a lot of folks, maybe some of you listening right now who are too young to remember Terminally online CM Punk and his online grudges, his online beefs. This has been going on for years. So maybe you're new to this. I'm not, but this is another example that he is still volatile. That he can still pop, uh, he can pop a seam at any given moment. 
honest. I didn't say I didn't want to spend time doing a deep dive is what I said. I just explained. <laughs> I'm not going to do a deep dive on this because it's not interesting. But I wanted to point this out so that you understand how this man's, how this man's brain continues to work. We're, we're not out of the woods yet. He got mad at Alvarez for talking about the story, but it's Mike Johnson who, brought, who broke the story. I don't know why he got mad at Alvarez. I don't know why he decided last week to pull out an email from 2006 or whatever, 2009, and then has the gall to go on his Instagram feed and say, uh, to go on his Instagram feed and say, uh, 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 you know, hey, stop with your parasocial relationships, uh, touch grass, go outside. <sighs> anyway, PG Louis, nice to see you, welcome. Anyway, Dave in the Observer, right? Last week, we're chatting about this. He said nobody knew in the company about a week ago that Ace Steel was returning to the company. No one. So how did this leak? How did this get out there? How did this get out there? The only people, if, if nobody knew in the company that Ace Steel was back, there was basically three people who were in on it then. There were only three people who could have known. Ace Steel, Tony Khan, and CM Punk. Maybe someone in HR who maybe isn't privy to this, you know, who maybe that's the jigsaw puzzle that's missing in this, in this equation here. I don't know. I don't care. The point is, is that not even Jericho knew, right? Jericho was sitting around the table just very recently saying, why don't we bring uh, a steel back? Maybe that's when he learned. Maybe that's when fucking Tony Khan said, well... You know, <laughs> Ace Steel's been working remotely for us since uh, December or whatever. You know, because it, it it all it, you know it all comes down to who knew what at this point, and you know, I guess Jericho didn't know it. Dave said it himself: key talent in the company did not know that Ace Steel was back. So who leaked this information? It's, I, I can guarantee it's not Tony Khan. Would it be Ace Steel? Maybe. I think that leaves one other culprit, a very plausible, very online, very connected culprit who would reach out to Nick Hossman as part of the punk camp to let him know, hey, Ace Steel's been with the company for months. I don't, I, 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 I don't think, uh, I, <laughs> I don't think we, uh, we don't have to think very much. We don't, we don't have to think very hard on this one. You don't need to be a fucking Sherlock here to figure this one out. The, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock, you know, where he's doing all the, the thing in his brain, you know, the sociopath things that he does in his brain. Hey, PG, look, I'm, 
glad you're jumping in the chat, man. Enjoy it. Dave also in the Observer, Dave Meltzer said that Ace Steel returning was a request, a demand, not a request, a demand by CM Punk in order to return. And Steele has been working remotely, but not as an agent. So on creative things, I don't know, was it, um, you know, gathering expense reports? What has he been doing remotely for, what, what, what has an agent been doing remotely for a wrestling promotion if you're not on location agenting? Can you agent from Zoom, via Zoom? I don't know, but then no one knew. So he couldn't be agenting. So what was he doing? Yeah, special projects, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking Larry. There you go. The chat's having some great ideas here. Next thing you know, he's told he's not coming back. Next thing you know, he's not coming back. Punk throws a fit, et cetera, et cetera. We learn all about this news. No one's on the up... CM Punk is not on the up, up front and so on and so forth. And then Dave... What, just like two, three days ago? He says, oh, but I, you know, by the way, Tony Khan has, uh, uh, Tony Khan contacted Daly's place for the June 17th show. <laughs> what? So Tony Khan, if we're, so if we're, if we're figuring this out, if we're walking through this, Tony Khan, is so uncertain that CM Punk is going to show up and do business for his company on June 17. Tony is ready to do a plan B, fly everyone out of Illinois and down to Jacksonville, Florida to do the first episode of Collision there uh, instead of the United Center because Tony knows that if CM Punk doesn't show up, he is not selling out the United Center. And frankly, I agree. <laughs> I think I think that is a I think that's a fair bet. Now there's one thing at this point. We're still going through the motions here. Don't worry, we're gonna get to some stuff. Hang in there. There's one thing that we have to underscore here at this point. When the Daily's Place thing comes out, every wrestling media journalist who is following this, that you follow, that you respect, that you enjoy their work, they're basically all saying the same thing. Nobody is saying CM Punk... Let me say that again. The plans for CM Punk's return on June 17 in Chicago are still ongoing. That's what they're saying. That's still the plan. The plan is for CM Punk to return on June 17 in Chicago. Now that's the plan. And for what I've heard in my own little circles and you know, chatting with people and whatnot, I'm here, you know, I'm gathering the same thing. Nobody is saying CM Punk isn't going to show up. In fact, he intends to be there. And this is a key. Agreeing to show up and it, intending to show up are two entirely different things. 
This is important. And this all blew up again just a couple of days ago because Raj Geary, formerly of Wrestling Inc., decided to go on a on a Twitter Spaces. And again, I am that is something I am not touching because it is it has no whatever happened in that space has no impact on what we're talking about here outside of the fact that he said that CM Punk had been served legal papers. Now, this this is something that somehow took the wrestling world by storm that CM Punk had been served legal papers. Now, the thing that's not clear is what are these legal papers? When was he served these legal papers? He has been served legal papers previously. Dave Meltzer a few months ago, or about maybe a month and a half, two months ago, posted on the Observer board that CM Punk had been served legal papers. You remember that whole thing where we found out that, you know, so are these the same papers, so on and so forth? And basically, Raj was saying if he doesn't agree to the terms on these papers, he's going to be sued by AEW. Good, good, golly gee willikers, you're getting served legal papers, and if you don't comply, there'll be consequences? Oh my gosh. Now, what could be these legal papers? It could be anything. You know, I think these were being framed as something serious or something new, but you know what they could be? They could be his contract. They could just as simply be his contract being sent through his lawyers and that they have to a certain date to sign the fucking papers or there's going to be consequences. Like, am I the only one who, who's not seeing what this is, how this is supposed to be a bad thing? How this is like this, this new revelation? Of course, CM Punk has been served legal papers. Because of all of it. You know, you know who else? You know, anyone else who is re-signing with AEW has representation. This this mindset, I think, that some fans have that Tony Khan just, you know, he's swagging down, you know, backstage at a dynamite taping, and he's got a stack of envelopes in his vest, and he pulls one out and he says, Hey, Powerhouse Hobbs, here's your contract. Hey, John Moxley, here's your contract. Hey, Kenny Omega, here's your contract. You guys have these in by Friday, okay? <laughs> like, I really believe some people think it works like that. These people all have legal representation. What are we even talking about? So, when John Moxley had his contract renewed last year, I got news for you. He got served legal papers. <laughs> Did... Do you, you know how insane this sounds when then people start start twisting this around without saying specifically what he's being served for? Well, he got served legal papers, and uh, and if he uh, and if he doesn't uh, and if he doesn't respond, there's yeah, you know, there's gonna be consequences. Jesus Christ! Well, look at it this way. You park in front of a fire hydrant, you get a ticket. You get, that's a legal paper you got served. And if you don't pay it, there's going to be consequences. It is a wide range. And we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, the graphic is not the contract. <laughs> exactly. Threats from family? No, I've done, no. Thankfully, never that far. But, so this reignited everything. 
okay? And one last point. This was reported on by a little outlet. I don't know if you've heard, it's called ESPN. They reported that CM Punk signed his AEW contract, his, his, his return to wrestling contract, the day of the first dance. He didn't sign it a week ago, a week previous, a month previous. He signed his contract the day of the show. The day that the United Center was packed to the gills. That's been reported. It's out there. And not by, you know, bumfuck McWeirdo. Never listen to his wrestling reports, by the way. He's terrible. But it's been reported by ESPN. So if CM Punk has his contract in his hands and he's going, okay, well, we're going to... Maybe that's the agreement. I don't know. The point here, I think that we have to gather, all right? Because I, I know most of you heard a lot of this story. I'm just trying to recap it for maybe the few of you who don't follow, you know, the in the the you know wrestling media as deeply, and maybe maybe I'm your sole connection to this bullshit. But it's still significant and. It's still, it's because it still could potentially have impacts on the business on AEW. The point that we have to make here is that people in this situation are still lawyered up. And there are people I know and haven't spoken about it, it hasn't been put out there. So, but there are people that I know are still lawyered up. Again, you know, is communication great? Like, like Nick Hosman said in his in his contract. I don't know. I at the very least, I'd call it strange at this point. I, you know, I think uh, communication between CM Punk is and TK is probably great as opposed to last week. You know, whatever snafu happened there, uh, because there are very there's very likely there's very likely people, other people out there in this situation that have lawyers and that are only speaking through your, their lawyers. Otherwise, why would we still be having all this lawyer talk still involved? And I'm saying this as an aside from CM Punk got served legal papers, right? Because to me, that's just par for the course. But for lawyers to still be involved in saying, a steel can't show up here or there or anywhere, that's another level of problematic. And the more things go forward, the more I think that it's not between TK and, and Punk. I think Phil and Tony are on good speaking terms. Maybe they weren't, but the more things are going forward, the more things I'm hearing, my gut is telling me that TK and, 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 and Phil are fine. In fact, you know, sure, like the Ace Steel thing did happen. CM Punk did bail, but everything was smoothed out on Wednesday, as opposed to the original report, which was saying that, oh, everything's in shambles. It's everything was in shambles on Tuesday. So Wednesday, you know, everything got bad. It was actually, from what we hear, all intents and purposes, uh, 
everything happened on Tuesday. Well, everything happened and on Tuesday, everything was smoothed out. By the end of the day, Tuesday, no one was going anywhere. No one was angry. No one was, you know, uh, scratch, clawing the other person's eyes out. There was none, none of that. So when when the, 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 the upfronts happened on Wednesday morning, everything was cool. Everything was back to being okay. Which then leads me to believe if you go down that route, leads me to believe that it was indeed Tony Khan who made the call to tell Warner Brothers to pull CM Punk off the show, off the uh, the upfronts because he wanted to keep the secret for himself. To kayfabe it, if you will. Because maybe, you know, I've heard this theory. It's like maybe, you know, Tony was just, Tony called uh, Warner Brothers and was like, hey, CM Punk hasn't been announced on our show. I'd like to keep it for our show. And they're like, okay, fine. And maybe that's what got them annoying too. I mean, it would would annoy the shit out of me if the day before I got a call from one of the guys like, hey, you know what? We have to change the graphics and the releases. That would that would annoy the fuck out of me. But maybe it's not the level of annoyance that we originally thought it was. That we thought that you know, since Phil Brooks on Wednesday was all pissed off and all, and Tony Khan was reacting vehemently and going, no, take this fucker off the. You know, maybe that ended up. Maybe that that ends up not being quite as true. Maybe it's just Tony Khan who ended up annoying people at Warner Brothers because they had to change shit, and no one likes to change shit last minute because it's wow, it's fucking annoying. Because the point is, is that Tony, not Tony, but CM Punk. Did not walk out the door on Tuesday because everything was settled on Tuesday. So he didn't walk out on Tuesday. There was probably a disagreement. There was very likely crossed wires over a steel. But by Tuesday, everything was fine. So in that perspective, Tony Khan made the call to remove CM Punk probably for kayfabe purposes, but then it begs to wonder why didn't he just go ahead and announce CM Punk and the the Chicago June 17 show on Dynamite that night? Why did we make, as Kristen likes to say, an announcement of an announcement? Why did we push that back? Because there's a chance that by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on demand or later, there's, there's a fair chance that at this point, uh, what I'm talking about right here is a moot point. That this audio is dead. And maybe we got the whole nine yards. We got CM Punk announced and so on and so forth. But, you know, now today, today, Brian Alvarez says CM Punk has not agreed to come back. And now everyone's throwing more hissy fits. Everyone's going nuts. Ah, so it's not settled. Ah, I said this at the member stream and I'm going to say it again. If you had, if you bet any money on CM Punk doing something logical, something, 
you know, clear down the path, just a, a, a clear straight path, uh, you enjoy losing money. You have enough money to lose. Maybe you should give it to charity instead. Instead of, you know, betting on CM Punk doing things. Um, be between now and the announcement, between now and the announcement, whenever that is, you know, tomorrow night on Dynamite or later on, CM Punk can change his mind as many times as he wants and none of us must be surprised if all of this does indeed fall apart because it is not a question of if he blows up and tears the house down once again it is a question of when he blows up and tears the house down once again because it's inevitable and this so i'm saying this just to cushion off what alvarez is saying here he's saying CM Punk has not agreed to come back. There should not be a surprise here. There should be no surprise here. He has not yet agreed to come back. But, hey, Ross and Found, nice to see you. Formerly known as Vape Ross. Vape, good to see you and welcome. Member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show, by the way. Um, what this means to me, and we, this is where media literacy comes in. This is where... Y'all, I know you understand this because you're the A-plus audience. I'm the D-list podcaster. You're the A-plus audience. I know you understand this. I know you're able to get into the semantics part of it. Because if on one hand, we're being told that CM Punk intends to come back and then Brian Alvarez says he has not agreed to come back, we are smart enough to make the difference and to understand what those mean and to go... This is what we've been telling you all along. You can't tell with CM Punk. This is what we've been telling you all along. Intending to come back and agreeing to come back are two entirely different things. Intending, I could intend to go uh, to my dad's funeral. It's got dark really quickly. I could intend to go to my, my dad's funeral but I might not agree to go. My dad is alive and well, by the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just because you want to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. And what this means is that CM Punk has the papers. Would it be the legal papers he's been served? And he has, I know, I know. And he has to sign the papers. He has to agree by putting pen to paper and signing the goddamn thing that is when he will be in agreement to come back now everyone is losing their shit oh he's throwing it all to hell again i promise you this cm punk will not be back with AEW until cm punk walks out in an arena on a live broadcast of AEW programming. I promise you. And even then, <laughs> and even after that, so to summarize, to everyone who are 
super mad at Brian Alvarez who are going, aha, we told you CM Punk wouldn't come back. There's There has never been a guarantee he was going to come back. There's still no guarantee he's going to come back. They haven't announced the goddamn Chicago show. The Daily's Place thing might be a rumor, turns out might be a hoax. We got the Grapsity guy saying, uh, Righteous Red saying, oh, well, you know, I've, it sounds like a lie to me. You know, he's been, he shot the rumor down. He said, nope, that doesn't exist. It's a false rumor. Okay, someone's been feeding lies to, to Dave Meltzer. Okay, why would Dave be lying? This is always the question you have to ask yourself because it's Dave who reported on the Daily's Place thing. Why would Dave lie? What is his, again, we've talked about this uh, previously when it comes to, to 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 these journalists there's no reason for a guy like Dave Meltzer to outright lie it like there but I'm not going to get into this right now I want to stay on the subject of CM Punk and maybe another time maybe on a going Broadway show we'll talk about um journalists and and, and lying um what we this is the breakdown here this is what we have to keep in mind this is what media literate people, when it, comes to, when it comes to this story, will understand. The plan is for CM Punk to return. CM Punk intends to return. Tony Khan, he, and he wants to return. Tony Khan wants CM Punk to return. This is what I have for you. But he has not agreed to return. Okay? Are, does that make sense? Because this is where we're at. This is where we... This, you thought that this would be smooth sailing? Welcome. Welcome to Mr. Gripes' uh, funhouse uh, where, where, where his gripes and, 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 and grievances just overshadow everything else. This should be a time of a celebration for AEW where we should be talking about their their extraordinary business outlook but no this is what we're doing here now if, if i'm tony khan though at this point i need to announce that cm punk is coming back this has to happen because according because we got to stop all this shit we got to put this guy on television we got to stop with all this nonsense you've got a brand new show coming out and, 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 and it has to work. It has to pull out. Because you know what? The, the sales for the collision shows, the tickets, are struggling to sell. Our boys at the WrestleNomics have this information. Again, shout out. But according to estimates from WrestleTix, ticket advances for the AEW collision events are struggling. The Hamilton date on June 29, the day after the already scheduled Dynamite date at the same venue, is only at... 569 tickets distributed. The Toronto taping on June 24, the day before Forbidden Door, is at 1,599. The July 22nd show in Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential Center, one of the biggest arenas, 3,247. July 8th, Regina, Saskatchewan, which, which tickets were already on sale before it was originally announced as a collision taping. 1,285. Calgary taping. The Saddle Dome. I've told you guys and gals and non-binary pals. It is a hockey arena. 19, 20,000 seats. 3,100 tickets sold. 
But this was for the house show. Now it's being converted into collision. The collision show needs the boost. None of this is good. None of this is good. Did I say taping? Apologies. There's gonna. There's one taping for the collision. If I, I Chad is correcting me. I think I said taping uh, the the Hamilton show on June 29 is happening is happening on a Thursday. So that one is taped. Um, and, uh, the June 24 show is a Saturday. That's before Forbidden Door. I mean, I'm assuming it'll be live. It's on a Saturday. What, what else? You know. Um, July 22nd is a Saturday. July 8th is a Saturday. Apologies if I said taping. I misspoke. But listen, again, by the time you're listening to this, because I'm recording this on, 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 a, on a Tuesday, and then I put this out on the Wednesday. By the time you're listening to this, maybe Tony has already announced on, on Dynamite, uh, CM Punk... Uh, 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 um, CM Punk is uh, is coming back uh, June 17, Chicago. Blah blah blah. You know, maybe 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 he's got all that you know ready to go. But as it stands right now, he needs to do that. He needs to get his lead he, to get the lead out of his ass and get fucking CM Punk on TV. Enough of this fucking bullshit. But now we are going to talk about Nick Khan. WWE CEO who has been uh, hitting the he's been hitting the interview circuit recently doing some uh, some chats with uh, with investors here and uh, we're going to get into some business talk here but uh, he did two uh, interviews talking about WWE's business perspectives and so on and so forth I want to thank once again Brandon Thurston, everyone at WrestleNomics for putting these wonderful reports together. I can't tell you enough. Subscribe to WrestleNomics. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, WrestleNomics.com. Do fantastic work like no one else. So, um, Nick Khan, last week, I believe, late last week, something like Thursday, I believe, might be Wednesday. Wednesday or Thursday, I think it's Thursday. Nick Khan spoke with analyst Michael Nathanson at the SVB Moffat Nathanson TMT conference last week. That's a mouthful. Uh, and uh, he had a few. Uh, he <laughs> he had a few. Um, you guys are great. Uh, he had a few comments, uh, a few uh, things to chat about in regards to uh, the uh, the WWE's business perspectives first of all he talked about a new show that is going to happen in india uh we're not quite sure what kind of event it will be will it you know the last thing they did for india of course was the superstar spectacular i think it was called the spectacular superstars or something to that effect which was done during the thunderdome era it was not something you know they didn't go out there but it was you know in you know in the um it was done in the thunderdome uh, a shot for the uh, the Indian audience. Uh, so they're going to... Um, uh, so we're not quite sure what kind of event it'll be. I don't know if they're going to go to the... Uh, if they're going to do, run a live show there. They probably will. You know, WWE continues to try to figure out, to crack the, um, the Indian market code. 
which professional wrestling organizations have been trying for years and no one has been able to crack it. Uh, biggest untapped market uh, in the uh, in the world right now for pro wrestling uh, and yet no one seems to be able to get a proper foothold. No one knows how to compose with it. No one knows how to do it. Hell, even TNA back in the day tried and couldn't figure it out. So, you know, if if WWE can't figure it out, I don't know how anyone else has a chance, really. So they're going to take another swing at it, though. Clearly, because that's what they want to do. And then uh, 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 Nathanson asked Nick Khan about Vince coming back. And I'm going to read you the quote here that, uh, that Nick gave as a response to that question. Vince and I had a private conversation, which he's certainly comfortable with me sharing today, where I said, hey... Just tell me, is this real? Because there's some scuttlebutt out there that maybe this is just your way to come back into your company. Which again, he would have had the right to do also. And he said, nope, I'm committed. I give you my word. Yes, we have to underscore the use of scuttlebutt by a Fortune 500 company CEO Is the word scuttlebutt. Next thing, you know, you know, let's put this on our bingo cards. Our words that Nick Khan uses. I'm ready to use giggle puss next. I like working with Paul Levesque. He's a bit of a giggle puss. But otherwise, he's got a good head for the business. Oh, so listen, I mean, there, you know, there's not, um, there, there, there's not a, what are we going to do here with this quote? I mean, Nick at this point can say whatever the hell he wants, you know, he doesn't, I still remember Nick Khan co-signing a letter saying, hey, Vince, don't come back. We don't want you back. Remember that? Remember that letter that Nick Khan co-signed with the rest of the investors back in December, late December, early January, something like that? Where the you, know, you remember that little saga? He was involved in it. And I was like, no, no, Vince, you told me no. He said, you know, my, my, uh, I didn't want to come back. It's not that, it's not what I want to do. Not getting back into creative. Like, come on. We, we can drop the act. You know what I mean? Like, But I also understand. It's like uh, when um, Ari Emanuel says, you know, oh, Vince had to be part of the deal. I didn't want to do this as Vince wasn't part of the deal and Vince sitting next to him going, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was ready to retire, but Ari, you know, Ari made a very compelling you know, argument. And I'm like, fuck off. These people, these people really think we're really stupid to believe all of this. Especially when we have the com a complete profile of public life like Vince McMahon does. Like anyway, we all know Vince came back so that he could be back in control. He didn't come back to just like, oh yeah, shareholders, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. They think we're morons to be swallowing this. We're pro wrestling fans. 
We can smell the works. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on that. I want to continue because there's much more interesting bits here. About He talked about the media rights. Again, this was late last week. He said, the reality of it is that we're going to get a really good re increase for both of these properties. Talking about Raw and SmackDown, of course. It's too early to say, is it 1.5? Is it greater than 1.5? Like, here he's doing a bit of a, well, you know, aim low, shoot high kind of thing, you know. Or expect low, but get high, you know. It's like lower the bar. So they're thinking 1.5. I think that's the general consensus, really. But then here's something interesting. He's starting to talk, to talk about a lot more, talking uh, a lot more about uh, 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 streaming services. He started talking about Netflix, for instance, saying it's only a matter of time, he said, before Netflix gets into sports, which is very interesting. Uh, and, you know, he also adds, you know, Netflix, you know, we could sell our rights to Netflix, let's say, for instance, in India. And I'm paraphrasing because he, legit he legitimately said we are, we being WWE, are the number two sport in India behind cricket, of course. Really? That's, uh, that's a bold statement, Cotton. Um, and I love how WWE sort of goes, no, we're entertainment. No, we're sports. Whenever it fits their narrative, right? It's like, oh, no, we do TV shows, pal. No, 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 we're a sport, pal. Whenever it, wh whenever it fits, whenever it suits them best, right? There's, there's no consistency on it. But I thought, I thought that was very interesting. I'm going to talk about Amazon later, too. Um, again, still last Thursday, he also said that it was WWE's strategy to put out PLEs over holiday weekends. Uh, and he, uh, uh, which again, it's not that big of a, it's not that big of a thing. Like WWE has been putting out pay-per-views over holidays, like for literally decades, decades. That's what Survivor Series was, right? Remember Survivor Series, the Thanksgiving day tra tradition. Remember that? Anyway, you know, the, you know, the, the, the new year's show, the, the Christmas show at MSG. I mean, like there's, there's nothing new here. Khan all but confirmed the Wall Street Journal's report, uh, 2021 report on the value of the Peacock deal uh, for uh, the current content and PLEs. Uh, Khan said that the value of the deal was uh, $1 billion over five years, so $200 million in average annual value. And he called it, quote, the most undermarket deal in the entire media business. So this is how WWE perceives its offer when it's time to walk up to the plate. They're saying the PLEs, the uh, the PLEs, the, the 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 content that Peacock is getting undervalued. We're only getting two hundred million a year. You know what I think this is? If you're, you know, this is I feel. Nick Khan setting the groundwork for the return of WWE doing shows on Peacock, but also doing an occasional pay-per-view show. Going back to the traditional pay-for-this-show deal. I think this is what he means. I, I think this is the, the framework, the, the foundation, if you, if you, if you may. Because if they're starting to talk 
about, hey, you know what? We have these great deals with these great partners, but you know what? We're in Our shit is worth more than this. I get, the, I, I get the impression that this means that, well, we're going to recreate value for the WWE product. Because the WWE devalued its own content by creating the WWE Network uh, about 10 years ago or so. Um, great value for fans, right? $10 a month, you have access to everything and original programming and then you get the pay-per-views. You'll never pay for a WrestleMania again kind of thing, you know? Like, fantastic value for, for fans. Plus, the great tape library, so on and so forth. Fantastic value. But ultimately, what you end up doing is saying, well, the content we put out on a regular basis is worth a monthly $10 subscription. Not nothing more. And I think this is what he's saying here. And I think this is the, and I don't think it's a reach because it's le he's legitimately saying we're getting $200 million a year, but we should be getting more. We're undervalued. Un the most undermarket deal in the entire media business. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna, you know, upcoming investor calls, they'll be like, well, listen, especially with Endeavor coming up, right? Because this is a model that Endeavor uses with UFC. You get this, you know, you get the free stuff on ESPN, you get some stuff on ESPN Plus, but then you want the big shows and you cough up 80 bucks. And I'm not, you know, I've talked about this tangentially in the past, but you know, we'll bring this back up again. I don't think WWE is going to go back to a full uh, pay-per-view schedule, but I think the tent poles, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam Survivor Series, will eventually become pay-per-views again. And you know, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not. But if I were a betting man, I would put money on WrestleMania 40. That's the next one next year, right? I would put money that WrestleMania 40 will not be on Peacock. And you know why? Because they won't be able to say next year, this is the most watched WrestleMania of all time. You know, they won't, they won't be able to thump their chest like they do. Because, as you may recall, a lot of, you know, Peacock subscriptions jumped so high from 2021 to 2022 because Peacock got included in cable deals across the country now for like for a full year for free. Now the cable deals are coming up. People are going to start having to pay for Peacock on a monthly basis. So there's going to be some attrition. There's going to be people who are just going to jump off because they're going to be like, look, it was nice to have it for free, but I don't give a shit. So I would not be surprised in the slightest if WrestleMania next year is a paid event, a pay-per-view. It's already a paid event, but a pay-per-view for those of us watching at home. And then it won't be on the, on the WWE Peacock. So that was interesting, those little talks. But then we got some really juicy bits. When he showed up, Nick... Uh, Khan showed up at the J.P. Morgan TMT conference and that happened uh, today. And he was talking with analyst uh, David Karnofsky. He said, now he, now we start getting into the, into the meat and potatoes here. 
I, you know, he he said a couple of interesting little things here to to the other guys, the the, the Nathan Moffat, TMT, SVB, Hambambu, Rendam Hambone conference. But uh, for JP Morgan, oh, Nick Khan, Nick Khan had the had the meat on the bone here. Uh, he said that uh, WWE is still in exclusive negotiating. Uh, it's still in the exclusive negotiating window for Raw with NBCU. Remember, we were talking about this last week on the show about the, how the exclusivity windows might be coming to a close. But he confirmed that the exclusive, the exclusivity window for Fox for SmackDown had just ended. This is also off reports that Fox might be interested in betting for the NBA. And that tipped off a lot of people where they're like, they're not going to bring back SmackDown if they're going for the NBA. They're not just, they're just not going to do that. They're not going to pay. They're not going to pay, give SmackDown the raise because it's not just paying, giving them a raise and then, uh, and then like turning this around and going like, yeah, and then on top of that, you know, uh, NBA for whatever ungodly billions of dollars that's worth. He, uh, Nick Khan also noted that the 3.6 times increase in US rights in the, lice, in the last cycle in regards to all sorts of uh, sports licensing deals, 3.6 increase. He says, quote, we're not expecting something like that here, but we're expecting something great, unquote. He even made the case as to why Raw should get an upgrade from NBC Universal. Quote, if you look at the high sub feeds USA Network continues to get, which it deserves, we think WWE is a big part of that. And he is entirely right. He is entirely right. Like he is 100% right. Uh, without Raw on Monday nights, there it is entirely possible to imagine that there is no USA Network. It is the highest weekly rated television show on the entire network and by far, it's not Chrisley's that's cutting it. Let me tell you what. He see, Nick Khan seemed to suggest that there's a way for WWE to end up with more than two United States media partners. This is super interesting. Listen to this. Quote, We followed the NBA's playbook five years ago in wanting to not have one exclusive partner for Raw and SmackDown and to split them again two ways. Now we're looking at the marketplace in its totality and thinking... There might be more uh, options than even that. This is very interesting because what does that mean exactly? Because you can't, let's say you, you do get three media partners, three different media partners, of course, because we, you know, if, if everything stays within the NBCU family, that's not the same thing, right? We're talking, let's say we're just shooting the breeze here. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. But you get 
NBCU on one hand, you get Disney on the other, and let's say Fox does renew them for whatever. What shows go where? What do you split up where? Is NXT included in this? We're going to talk about NXT in a second. But is NXT included in this? Do you feel like you'd be like, yeah, you know, we'll take NXT off of uh, off of USA and put it on another night somewhere else? That's an interesting way to look at it. That's very interesting. Or are you ready to go with a partner who might not be, uh, who might who might not be interested? in um, doing live broadcast but maybe getting you know your on-demand views like an Amazon or a Netflix but you already have Peacock but you're already talking about Peacock being you know under the market huh like you, you see how all, all of these parts are starting to come together here you're like hmm, this is all really fucking interesting right now because you could have you know media partner for your you know TV broadcast cable and another one for TV broadcast cable. Maybe you could have another one for the video on demand. All right. All interesting. But then, and I think this is the thing that made headlines today. Here's the quote. I'm just going to dive right into it. He's talking about, he's talking about the composition of his weekly shows. Raw is three hours. We don't anticipate that changing. But there's internal conversations on the 10 to 11 hour. To make it a little more adult-themed is something we're discussing internally. Now, if you are a long-time wrestling fan, you know how many times we've heard about WWE wanting to turn the 10 to 11 o'clock on a Monday night into the, into the adult show, right? It even happened fairly recently well, I mean, what, maybe four years ago at this point? Remember when Mick Foley came out to say, hey, the 11 o'clock, the 10 to 11 show is going to be, uh, it's going to be for grown-ups only. It's going to be more mature themed. And then he pulled out the 24-7 title. Remember that? Remember that? Remember Raw? That's right, chat. Remember Raw Underground? This was all the, the adult-oriented things that they wanted to do from 10 to 11. And for some reason, this was aggregated in people saying, oh, they're going to create a third show just for adults. I'm like, I didn't pick this up at all. This is not what he said. He's talking about Raw. This is in the context of talking about Monday Night Raw. He's saying the, the last hour, make it a little more adult theme is something we're discussing internally. Well, we've heard this before. We've been down this, this dog and pony show. Who cares? They're going to try something for a couple of weeks. Probably have, you know, uh, you know, have a couple, of, a, couple, a couple of girls come out in bikinis and bullshit like that. And it's going to be like, oh, remember the Attitude Era, fellas. You know? Because ultimately, that's what they, they want to say. That's what, that's what they want to say out loud. They want to say, hey, we're going to do the Attitude Era again. But they can't because the Attitude Era is poison for advertisers. Poison. It always has been poison. And you can look back to any, any, you can read any book from the era, any book, any documentary worth its salt. It'll all say the same thing. 
Advertisers would, you know, big time, grade A advertisers wouldn't want to touch the Attitude Era shows, Monday Night Raw and whatnot, with a 10-foot pole. Why? Because it was trash. <laughs> and not trashy is what I'm trying to say. Trash, that's a whole other thing. But it was trashy. And they, that's why we got five-hour energy and, not that, and all that stuff and not fucking, you know, Coors or, you know, Progressive Auto like they're getting today. You get a Slim Jim. You'd end up with Slim Jim. Or was that already on WCW? It doesn't matter. Look, the point being, it was all trash. So they're not, they're not going to come out and say, hey, we're doing the Attitude Era again. Their advertiser is going to be like, no, fuck this shit. No. It's poison. So I think it's funny that he's bringing that up as if it's this like this new concept, this, well, we're thinking about it internally. Sure. You've been trying to pull that shit off for years. And you can't do it. Why? Because well, you're creatively bankrupt. That's why. You could make the whole show a little more adult friendly. You can just start by making it better. Then he speaks about SmackDown. We're still open to a third hour for SmackDown. Really. Fox, as it's currently constituted, is a two-hour prime time. So that's the deal that Fox wanted to do. Uh, so that's the deal, a two-hour program that Fox wanted to do four or five years ago. He made clear that Raw or SmackDown could be moved to any time, to any night of the week. Any night of the week. So there could potentially be some pretty big shakeups here. Raw could be off of Mondays. SmackDown could be off of Fridays. Frankly, I think if there's one of the two shows that you move around, I would say it would be SmackDown because SmackDown, nah, you know, doesn't have the history. It's been bumped around a bit. Started on Thursdays, if I'm not mistaken, then didn't end up on Saturdays for a while. And like, it doesn't have the cachet that a Monday Night Raw has where it's always fucking been on Monday. Now, you can, who cares about tradition, especially in WWE? You can do whatever the hell you want as long as it's profitable for your bottom line, right? So, I mean, there's still the idea of it could stay on any network and it doesn't, you know, it, it, it could stay on any network, but it doesn't mean it will absolutely be on a Monday night. So it could be just about anywhere. Here's the interesting wrinkle that he added here. He said, Amazon wants to program different nights of the week. This is a guy who is essentially telling us, look, SmackDown's not going back to Fox. We tried to work it out with them. They're, they're like, okay, guys, gals, go shop around. Come back, let us know. And now we're shopping around and you know what? Amazon. He could be just throwing names out there just to give the impression that, oh yeah, we are talking to all these people. Or he, just, he could just be blowing smoke up our ass too. Like, who cares? The point being is here is that he is absolutely setting the stage, whether it will happen or not, he's setting the stage 
for SmackDown to no longer be on Fox and no longer be on Friday nights. He's also saying Raw could be just about anywhere. Do we have to stay on USA, right? That's what he said earlier. Uh, that's what he said earlier, right? We could get an upgrade there. We could get a raise there. And do we have to stay on USA? Could it be possible to think that, you know, could it be possible to think that Raw could be on NBC proper on Monday nights? I don't know. Like, I don't know what's on Mondays on uh, on NBC. And maybe NBC would be like, no, 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 no. Our Mondays are fantastic. We're winning. We're whatever. But, you know, it could be interesting to see. Maybe it could end up there. And then if you ever need to preempt it, you send it back to USA. It all depends on what the plan is for USA Network as well. Could there be simulcasts? I guess, but I don't know how that benefits anything if you're splitting the audience. Splitting the audience means you're splitting the ad rates. I don't think it makes sense. We're definitely heading into some interesting territory with the WWE rights deals here with what our boy is talking about here, our boy Nick Khan. Definitely more interesting things to think about and discuss than what's been happening over in AEW. Um, but uh, I, I think this is the clear message that he's sending here. SmackDown could probably no longer be on Fox. Will probably, uh, um, there's a chance it could no longer be on Fridays. And we're thinking about adding an extra hour. Now that extra hour, I'm like, okay. I, I don't know how that benefits. But I think it's pretty clear. And absolutely open to working with streaming platforms. So what that also says to me is that if, um, if WWE is ready to open up uh, to streaming platforms like Netflix, like Amazon to get the first run programming, to get the live broadcasts, then it also means to me that the Peacock deal is probably not going to stand. It's probably not going to be as strong as it was. And is this because of WWE or is this because of the new Endeavor management? There's a lot of things at play here. There's a lot of things at play. Is Disney back into contention? You know, Endeavor has a good relationship with ESPN. And there's also this question of, you know, can we, and maybe it won't be at these rights deals. Maybe it'll be a little further down the road or whatever. Maybe there'll be renegotiations in the meantime, but there's always the question of, can WWE and UFC be sold as a package? I think most of us who follow pro wrestling know that there, there isn't as much crossover fans between uh, uh, MMA and, and pro wrestling fans as you'd expect, as you'd think. I think a lot of MMA wrestler, a lot of MMA uh, 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 fighters like to, you know, they like pro wrestling for a bunch of reasons and I think there's natural appreciation on that front. But I don't think it's the case with fans, really. I think on the opposite, uh, we're mostly, you know, we sort of look at the other thing a little strangely. Especially, you know, MMA fans are like, 
I don't want to see pretend fights, you know? So I don't know if that's a thing. Putting WWE and UFC as a bundle together. Not developing. We're in uncharted territory here. We're see we're we're and it's the same thing with the rights deal for AEW. So we're all seeing how this is gonna uh, how this is going to move forward. Cause there are because for this rights deal, and I'm saying we're in, in uncharted territory for the rights deal for WWE, is because the com- the composition, the company that is WWE will no longer exist in a few months. It's gonna be called what TKO or whatever. It's not the whale thing, wide whale, full whale, whatever it was called, which is a shame, it was a better name. But the TKO company uh, is going to, um, yeah, it's going to end up changing the game on that level. So, how exactly is it going to change? How is it going to? What kind of relationships does this open up? I'm really curious to see how all this is going to go down. Um, and another interesting little tidbit, something that made me laugh. Actually, uh, interviewer David Karnofsky asked Nick Khan uh, how NXT plays into the rights deals, right? And whether WWE is willing to be more experimental with the distribution for that show, which, you know, I kind of think ties into to this idea of getting a third media partner. But look at this point, I could be surprised by anything. There's a lot of experimentation going around. Khan says this, quote, I think we're up 20% or so year over year. In regards to NXT, saying sure, you know, eh, I think we're up twenty percent in viewership year over year, and that, my friends, colleagues, well wishers, hangers on, that is a bald faced lie. <laughs> NXT is not twenty percent over year over year. That is not even close to being the truth. NXT ratings are down 2% in total viewership in quarter one and quarter two to date. It's up in the in the demo, but not by 20%. 5% in quarter in Q1, 12% in Q in, in, in quarter two. Now, Ron SmackDown are up 20%. Shout out to Brandon Thurston for all the math. But they're up 20% over uh, in quarter two as opposed to last year. So that's good, but not fucking NXT. We're also a little extra elements about the um, the NIL program where he, said, he reiterated that... Uh, He's going to be doing that. Uh, they're going to continue bringing in more people from. Um, they're going to continue bringing in more people outside of independent wrestling. Those are going to be the future stars. Blah blah blah. And also said that. Uh, oh yeah, we really like doing shows where the government gives us money to bring our show here. And honestly, that's something we're going to be seeing more of. And you know, I think it's kind of trash that local governments do that. I'd hate it as hell if my local government did that, but that's a that's a whole other debate for a whole other time. Since we're on the topic of NXT, uh, yeah, NXT WWE, let's preview 
NXT Battleground 2023. Upcoming professional wrestling uh, 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 premium live event from the good, good folks at the, uh, at the NXT brand. Uh, as you know, I am not... Uh, uh, I am not, uh, 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 I do not watch NXT on a regular basis. I think it is a, it is one of the worst uh, major league wrestling shows out there. I think the, you know, presentation is uh, grading. I think the creative is bad. Uh, and I think that uh, for all the great talent that they have, they sure put on a lot of weird matches. This card, if I look at it from a completely removed, uh, uh, if I look at it completely removed, has ups and downs. Ups and downs. Ilya Dragunov is going to be taking on uh, Dijak in a last man standing match. I would be excited for this if I knew it didn't have like a 15 minute time limit on it. And don't get me wrong, these boys are going to kill each other. But I feel like, like a last man standing match has to have room to grow, room to breathe. I, I, is there going to be nonsense? Is there going to be chicanery? Is there going to be like, you know, they're going to start using chairs and bullshit like that to explain it? Like, maybe it'll make sense. But Dragunov versus Dijak. Yeah, sign me up. I'm excited for that. Then we get a triple threat match because, of course, why the fuck not for the North American Championship? When is the last time the North American Championship on a PLE was... Uh, was defended one-on-one. -on -one. I'm actually going to look that up. I am actually going to look this up. going to go over here. Events. Uh, no, titles is what I want. And then we're going to get the North American Championship. Let's take a look here. Wesley... Oh, he's been defending it in singles on TV. He's been defending it in singles on TV, but at the PLEs, it always has to be a fucking multi-man match. He defended it against Drew Gulak, against Charlie Dempsey, against Axiom. But now we're doing three dudes. Then at Stand and Deliver, it was against uh, four other dudes. Then, uh, then at uh, 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 Halloween Havoc, God, what a bad show. Um, he won it there in a in a, in a five way. Uh, he, okay, to be fair, Die Jack Adventures. They had forgotten about that, but I mean, I mean, this is the impression. Look, this is the perception I have of the title. It's like it's never one on one matches. It's always like fucking bullshit, like this. Build up one contender, Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy. Who the fuck needs Joe Gacy in this? Wesley versus Tyler Bate? There you go. That's your match. That's your match. Why the fuck do we need Joe Gacy in this?
aside from my basic gripes, um, Lee and Bait should be fantastic. This should be great. Dragon Lee is going to be taking on Noam Dar, who brought the NXT Heritage Cup with him. And it's going to be a British Rounds Rules match, which I haven't seen in a while, so that'll be fun. Um, hopefully, Dragon Lee wins here and they actually do something with the guy. As I, often, I often think about Dragon Lee, how he was handled in WWE, and how Jay White was handled in AEW. And I think it's an interesting comparison to make. Not because they're similar wrestlers, right? Because they're not at all. <laughs> but they were both on the basis, right? Presented in the same way. International superstar. Okay? If we're comfortable with that, we you'll you'll be you'll you'll be comfortable with the rest of my argument. On one end, WWE pushes the idea that he is an international superstar. He, they give him little, little packages, you know, the special entrance, the, the special uh, uh, Titan Tron. They do the whole thing, right? Whereas Jay White is just like he's just like thrown in there. He's one of the guys. He's fucking backing up Juice Robinson. He's hanging around Sean Spears. He's with the he's with the lower mid carters. And and his international stardom isn't even mentioned. He's not like, oh yeah, this guy was a big deal in New Japan. This guy is a he's a superstar. But he got a compelling match out of uh, Ricky Starks and I'm predicting that he's going to have a match at the pay-per-view again, a rematch with Ricky Starks and it'll probably be very, very good because that match was very good. Dragon Lee, well, he's been losing too. It's an interesting comparison. Only one company decided... So one company decided to lean into the fact that he was an international superstar but he's losing, you know, on his debut match he loses. At least Jay White... Won it, even though it was by DQ. Anyway. This should be fun. I'm hoping. How's Noam Dar's health been these days? Is he, is he healed up and ready to go? Cruiserweights, baby. Then we have the tournament final for the vacant NXT Women's Championship. We got the little scoopsie earlier tonight. Via Kristen Ashley, who is plugged into NXT, saying that Lyra Valkyria defeated Cora Jade to move to the finals. And I'm assuming that Roxanne Perez will be next. Um, the fact that Lyra Valkyria, I because Kristen and I we had set out our blocks in a, and and I I was convinced we were going the path of Cora Jade versus Roxanne Perez for the finals again, right? Because of, oh, their history. They used to be friends, but now, you know, and all that. And, you know, Cora is a, you know, wears a, a cap backwards. That's my personality. And, uh, and I thought that's where we were going. Uh, I, 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 you know, I would assume that this is, uh, that this is what's happening. It's interesting because the, the Wikipedia page hasn't been 
updated. It has been updated with Lyra Valkyria. So we don't, as of this recording, it is still up in the air, either Tiffany Stratton and Roxanne Perez. At this point, I would just, I would just be excited to see just some fresh talent, fresh faces, new folks, dump Perez, let her do her anxiety angle and put Tiffany Stratton and Lyra Valkyria in the finals. That'd be great. Do you, and I'm asking this with my whole heart, very earnestly, and I'm not trying to be cute or funny. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, Cora Jade was removed from the finals, from winning this semifinal match tonight, after her horrendous, main event match that she had with Nikki Cross. And I'm, again, not trying to be cute. Because that match was bad. It was a disaster. And if so, if, big if, she was removed off of that performance, I'll tell you one thing. There's hope for this promotion yet. Because if Michael Hickenbottom saw that happen and gave the call and said, Cora, look, we got to go back to the drawing board, sister. We're going to, Lyra's going to go forward and we're going to go work on some stuff. You're not ready for this. Then I'm like, holy shit. As opposed to, Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Then there, you, you know what I'm saying? Because if I were the booker, if I'm the guy who's doing this, who's putting on these shows, and I see Cora Jade, you know, lay an egg in a, on, on TV like that with a, a seasoned pro, like Nikki Cross, I'm like, I, I would absolutely pull her. Absolutely pull her from the match. And Tiffany Stratton, talked about her before. She won me over. I was not a believer. Uh, I like her. I like her a lot. And the more things are going, uh, I think I think she's... Right now in the WWE NXT women's division, she is she is the uh, she is the the woman who has the most potential for a long-term career in that company. I think she's grown to if she didn't already, because she, what she's a gymnast, right? That was her thing. She's she's not one of these, you know, she's not Sasha Banks who grew up watching Chavo Guerrero on TV. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not, that's not it. She, she, um, if she grew into liking wrestling and appreciating it and saying, look, I'm going to watch some tape. I'm not ready for the main roster. I still got shit to learn. And she's improving, notably improving. You can see it in her work. She's not perfect. She's not, she's not seamless. You know, she's not fucking TJP. 
but she's improving. And you look at her go, and you're like, all right, she's got the stuff, she's got the presentation, the look. She's got all the qualities that they like. I think she has the makings of being a long-term prospect, a big star on main roster for the Fed. And I don't see that in a lot of women on the NXT roster. I don't see it in Fallon Henley. Definitely don't see it in Cora Jade. So, the, the, the question is, is, do you pull the trigger on her, right? Do you put her in the final here with Lyra and, uh, and have her win? And my controversial take is no, you don't. Because then she becomes under a microscope. Then it's like, okay, well, here is, here is the, the, the stalwart of the women's division. This is the standard. This is, uh, this is what you should be achieving, right? That's what every championship is. And if she herself says, I got work to do. I've got tape to study. I got to, don't put it on her. She's saying it herself. I'm not ready. Don't put the title on her when she's ready to look, act, and feel like a champion. Over the past, in, in 2022, for a, a good part of 2022, NXT was saddled with two champions who did not live up to the bill. And who were, push, 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 stick to the plan, stick to the plan. Despite the fact that it really wasn't working. One guy, total package, the other girl didn't deliver in the ring. So, um, do we want that for Tiffany Stratton? And I can appreciate everyone's like, strap her up, push her to the moon. You know, I see it in the chat as well. And you know, it's like, but why not? This is, we keep being told this is developmental and in complete objectivity, she is not quite there yet. And I think it would be much more rewarding to wait, give her a little more time to breathe, give her a little more time to grow so that when she does have the title, she's putting on bangers and we're not sitting there going, well, you know, she's not, she wasn't quite ready for the strap because that's what the conversation will turn into. Uh, she wasn't ready too soon. Lyra Valkyria, she's got years of experience under the belt. She's fantastic. Roxanne, look, I like Roxanne. I find she's regressed since being in NXT, but maybe it's a phase. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe we're about to, maybe if she stops fighting Cora Jade, everything will be fine. Like, I don't know. But I feel she's taken a couple of steps back. I, I wouldn't be mad if they belted up Tiffany Stratton this weekend, but I... I wouldn't be mad if they belted up Tiffany this weekend, but I think it's doing her a disservice and in the eyes of the fans as well. I don't think we can pump the brakes a little on this. We don't have to go down this road with her so fast because I really believe it's going to be de detrimental to her and uh, because she's not ready for the spot. Everyone likes to think because it's like, she's the new fresh thing. 
It's like, oh, she's so fantastic. And you know what? And I was listening to a podcast recently that was saying exactly what I'm about to say. Um, and it, or actually articulated how I feel. It's okay sometimes to look at a wrestler you like and say they're great, they're good, but they're not quite there yet. Rather than go all in and say, do it, let's go, let's make it happen, let's, she's written it. Because if you overhype someone who is not ready and they stop growing or they put, they're put into a position that things stunt, you've got egg on your face on one end. But then on the other, on the other hand, the opposite can happen is that they continue to grow, but then you get exhausted because it's like you've been hyping them up for so long as they were coming up and being super green and not quite ready. And you've been like, no, they're ready. They're ready to go. That when they're, they've achieved the superstar status, it doesn't feel special anymore. It doesn't feel like it's the real thing. We can pump the brakes on some things and be just realistic or clear, clear-sighted, maybe not realistic, but clear-sighted about certain about certain talent be like look I really like Tiffany Stratton she's not ready it's not time yet and that's not a knock on her especially not in this case where everything points to her wanting to do the work so let her do the work let her get her reps in let her become uh, let, let her ascend get to another level so that we can get even more excited for her so that we can say with confidence when it's time yeah take the belt off of X put it on her I think Roxanne Perez wins. I think they put it back on her. And then the main event, Carmelo Hayes versus Braun Breakar. And I don't know why they're doing this. Uh, I really thought this, this is the repeat of the slam and deliver, slap and deliver, stand and deliver, PLE, right? This is a repeat of the main event of stand and deliver, which I thought was average. I don't know why they're doing this again. Why is Braun Breaker back in a main event spot on NXT? I know that you didn't call him up. That's not my problem. Because you guys knew. You saw it. He's not ready. He'd be eaten alive by the Monday Night Live crowds. Monday Night Raw Live crowds. Eaten alive. He's not ready. So we're doing this. I I got not excited. I was when Braun lost the title at Stand and Deliver. I was excited for an NXT Championship um, uh, 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 picture that did not include him anymore. I was excited for the fresh matches. I was excited for him not snoozing up the place. But here we are. Back again. Oh, they also added a new match. The Gallus brothers, uh, Gallus, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang versus the Creed's. For the NXT Tag Team Championship. I love the Creeds. I think the Creeds are great. I think the Creeds are... Uh, 
see, the Creeds are another thing. They're another, they're another team that I really like, but that I, I also realize they're not ready. They're, 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 you know, they still have work to do. I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, that, oh yeah, the Creeds versus Aussie Open. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, not keen on that. Not getting my blood pumping. It'd be interesting, but I'd be like, <laughs> but I like the Creeds. Gallus does nothing for me, so I don't know. Let's go with the Creeds. And I hope Carmelo Hayes retains. And I hope, I hope Braun Breaker goes to, you know, tumbles down the, the, the card. And um, I hope he tumbles down the card and puts over Apollo Crews. Oh, Apollo's up on main now, right? He got drafted. Back up. Shit. Oh, well. Um... I'll watch this this, this pay-per-view and uh, as opposed to um, previous installments of uh, NXT PLEs, I cannot say with confidence that I will be here next week to review and bury it. Uh, there are some multiple saving graces on this show that could make it a good time. But I am not excited for the main event. In fact, I'm dreading it. Tag team match that I just mentioned. Curiosity more than anything else, but Dragonov versus Dijak is probably going to steal the show. Wesley and Tyler Bate, anytime, any place. No, I'm Darn Dragon Lee. I think that has the, I think that is sneaky good. It's a sneaky good pairing. Bringing back the NXT UK stalwarts to save the to save the save the territory. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, to Japan. Let's head on over to the Japanese side of uh, of things, where we are going to review New Japan Strong Resurgence, which is a pay per view show that happened this past weekend. May 21st, 2023 from the Walter Pyramid in uh, in California. I can't remember the city. I didn't jot it down. But the Walter Pyramid. Less than 3,000 people present from what we are able to gather. I don't think that's a... I think it's a good gate for New Japan. But I would... I think... I think... New Japan probably assumed that they would be able to get a little more attendance out of this as opposed to um, since they had Mercedes Monet on the card. But like I mentioned last week on the preview, um, I think they might be starting to uh, burn the territory. I think this show should have run not in California because that's where... Monet did her de debut just recently. So, you know, why didn't they run this in Texas? They've run shows in Texas. They should have run this out uh, a little more out east is the point I'm trying to make. But overall, this show, despite the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that 
the attendance number isn't exactly what they were hoping for, despite the fact that there were cast members of the Mandalorian in, in, in attendance, such as Katie Sackhoff. Overall, a good show. I thought this was a fun show. Couple of moments with which really slowed down the momentum and a terribly unfortunate main event uh, conclusion uh, to another to a show that was otherwise up until that point ah, cooking with gas. I really liked it. A couple of things dra dragged it down, but it was also a very eventful show. A lot of things were announced. Significant things were announced on the show. First of all, Kyle Fletcher dressed up in his best Peaky Blinder suit. I know he's Australian. Nonetheless, he looked like a Peaky Blinder thug. I know he's Australian. Mm. He came out and announced that Aussie Open were, are, were being forced to vacate both sets of uh, tag team championships that they had, the uh, IWGP tag team championships and the uh, Strong Openweight tag team championships because Mark Davis is injured. Uh, he did not announce what the injury was. Uh, however, Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio said uh, uh, Mark Davis of Aussie Open had arthroscopic surgery on his knee to, to repair a torn meniscus. That'll sound familiar to some people in the, uh, in the chat right now. Aussie Open vacated both the New Japan Strong and the IWGP Tag Team titles because they would be unable to make their already advertised defense at the June 4 Dominion show in, o in Osaka. So, um, so that is, um, so that's something that's very depressing because I'm, look, I really like Aussie Open, but I, I'm, and I know the, I know the thing is to, you know, look at Kyle Fletcher and say, look at the future this kid has. And he does. Don't get me wrong. This guy has the, he has the tools to be a big time single star. Um, you know, and I know that's the cool thing. But, man, I am such a big Mark Davis dude. And it it breaks my heart that he that he's hurt and that uh, Aussie Open has to relinquish the titles. The torn meniscus, not so bad. You know, I guess the injury could have been a lot worse. You know, I'm trying to look at the glass half full here. That means he won't be out of action for too long, but long enough to not make the Dominion uh, defense and probably means for my own, you know, guilty, not guilty, but uh, uh, my own, you know, uh, little um, pettiness, I guess. I'm very disappointed that I will not be seeing Aussie Open at Forbidden Door this year. Because I was very much looking forward to seeing Aussie Open live. Never mind then. No, but I hope he uh, I hope he heals up soon. Um, and you know, it, again, it you know it's a it, it, you know he's having surgery, so you know it's going to need time to heal. It's not it, you know it's not something that's going to heal within a month or whatever. But it's still not so bad. It's not a terrible uh, 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 you know it's not a, a career-ending injury. It's nothing that'll keep him out for months upon months upon months. Um, but you know, this is how it goes with New Japan. You know, these are their rules. If you can't make the defense, we're going to strip you. It's just, you know, if we have, 
they they were scheduled for the fourth. You can't make it for the fourth. All right, hit the bricks. You gotta yeah you, you you gotta relinquish the titles, which sucks. Previously scheduled was the match with Aussie Open. It was a three way match with House of Torture and Bishamon at Dominion. So now it's just going to be Bishamon and House of Torture uh, for the IWGP Tag Team Titles. Uh, Kyle said on um, on TV that it was going to be for both titles, but that was rectified and it will only be for the IWGP Tag Team Titles. So the strong title, something is going to happen with that down the road. Um, <clears throat> I mean, sure, take away... If, if you take away a triple threat or a three-way, excuse me, don't call it a triple threat. If you take away a three-way match for a championship title, that makes Warren happy. So I'm not going to bitch about it. I can't complain. But I mean, it's still Bishop on in House of Torture. Fucking Ujiro. That fucking sack of turnips. Then the other big announcement that came out of the show was uh, the Independence Day show that is going to be run in Japan. It is a New Japan Strong match in Japan. So New Japan is announcing a New Japan show in Japan. Independence Day is what they're calling it. It's a two-day pay-per-view event, July 4 and July 5th. It's a Tuesday and a Wednesday at Corken Hall, nonetheless, though. Both shows available as pay-per-view um, uh, as pay-per-view on New Japan World. Announced on the show were Fred Rosser, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Team Filthy, so Tom Lawler, J.R. Kratos, and the West Coast Wrecking Crew. And Eddie Kingston, who came out to challenge new openweight champion, never open, uh, strong openweight champion Kenta to a fight at the show. We'll touch on that particular match later. But Eddie Kingston throwing his hat into the uh, into the into the show here. So I we're guess we're assuming that the hernia injury is, is surgery was a success, and he's ready to go. That's what I'm getting from this. Good. I I need more Eddie Kingston. I think we all do. So that's going to be happening July 4th, July 5th. A lot of the, uh, from what I understand from, again, people who speak Japanese as opposed to moi, uh, the Japanese fans online apparently were wondering if Willow Nightingale was going to be there again because she's a, she is a belt holder now in New Japan. So... Apparently, clearly, she made an impression with the fans there, uh, so that was nice. That's 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 a fun thing to hear. But there, apparently, there was a lot of scuttlebutt on that level. So those were the big announcements from the show. Let's get into talking about the show itself. Started off with uh, El Barbaro Cavernario. Cavernario. The caveman barbarian. Dressed up like Fred Flintstone. Defeated Virus, and Virus, I should say, defeated the TMDK duo of Bad Dude Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. This match started off the show with a bang. I thought this was fantastic. 
I'm sorry to say I can't say much about Virus or uh, El Barbaro Cavernario because I am not quite versed in CMLL and I feel bad about it, but I loved what I saw here. Um, bad Dude Tito continues to be a, 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 a nice bright spot in these undercard matches on, uh, on these strong shows. He's great. Got Zack Sabre Jr. in there, his, uh, his uh, TMDK stablemate hanging in there. And I think, that, was it me or did it feel like they teased uh, a match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Virus? And the, 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 the match finished weird. The match finished a little off, didn't it? Uh, you know, I, I, at first I was like, oh shit, you know. They, uh, uh, they, um, they, they ended up screwing up the, they, they, they ended up screw, screwing the finish up because of, uh, you know, they didn't start the music straight off and the referee, like, I don't know, the referee was calling for the bell, the bell wasn't ringing, the music wasn't starting, but clearly, you know, Tito was tapping. I don't know exactly, couldn't tell you. Looked a little off, but I liked it. Good opener. Very good way to start the show. Then we fell into the New Japan Strong Women's Title Tournament semifinals. Back-to-back. Um, -back. Started off with Mercedes Monet defeating Stephanie Vaquer in a fantastic match. Like, they, you, you, there's nothing really uh, you can say to this match here that wasn't, uh, that is anything other than, this ruled. This was absolutely fantastic. Um, of course, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Monet, super over, like the crowd was really, really ready for her. They were into her, that was great. Uh, and uh, I thought she had a fantastic match. I think it's ranked, I'd have to like rewatch the Kyrie match but I think this is probably, it's probably up there with her best New Japan uh, matches so far. Or Japanese matches so far. I, I, this was absolutely fantastic. Vaquer, the thing that's cool here, uh, as we were watching it in the Discord, which we usually do, join the Discord, link is in the description. We watch it in the Discord and, and, and there's people are getting excited and they're like, who is this girl? Never seen her wrestle before. She's fantastic. And I, you know, I've heard about her, seen a few things, but never, never like focused on a full match like this. She was fantastic. Smooth as silk. Precise. Like she knew what she was doing. Uh, like two top level stars here doing top level wrestling. This ruled, um, you know, what was that? You know, there were just fantastic spots all around. But uh, I thought this was, uh, this was a, a high-speed match. I thought it was well put. It was smartly put together because, I, you know, even though I think no one really expected Monet to win, uh, to lose, excuse me, um, they did work it enough to show that, you know, Vaquera could absolutely take control of this match and squeeze one out. They had me believing that they could go with the bold decision here, but no... Backstabber, Moneymaker gets the win here. A lot of shine for Vecad here. I think this might have made her in certain circles in North America. 
Well, in America, I should say, because Mexico is part of North America. She's pretty much already made there. Moving on! New Japan Strong, uh, the, the next uh, uh, match in the uh, women's title tournament was uh, Willow Nightingale defeating Momokogo. Uh, I thought this was very good. I don't think it was as good as the other one, but um, they, they told a very interesting, very fun, um, uh, big wrestler, small wrestler match without falling into tropes. Um, and they didn't, they didn't shy away from the fact that Willow is a big, strong lady and she should be tossing this smaller one around. They leaned into it. So when Kogo started hitting her offense, people got excited about it. They got, you know, got really, really uh, into it. But Nightingale would just like spend a good portion, especially in the first like half of the match, just completely overwhelming Kogo. Kogo was just trying everything. Nothing was working. Um, she even Kogo hit a crucifix bomb a great crucifix bomb on Willow Nightingale as well who hit the spine buster and the babe with the power bomb doctor bomb but that's how they call it now because she's the babe with the power so she has the babe with the power bomb good strong match now here's one of the two matches that I thought brought the show down a little bit. Um, just Robinson defeating uh, Fred Rosser. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what to say really. <laughs> no, I do. That's a lie. This match, this this could have been a a good match had it not this had they not decided to make it. A 23-minute ordeal. I think this was perfect for 15 minutes because boy, oh boy, was there a lot of walking around and waiting and noodling around for stuff to happen and for spots to make sense in this 23-minute you know, I believe right now the ghost of this match is still going on right now. Interminable. And it's not that they, there wasn't any cool spots. There were. And it was violent. But it just dragged so much. Why? Did they feel this had to go 23 minutes? Is beyond me. I think a, you could have shaved 12 minutes off of this, got a nice little 11 to 12 minute match, packed up nicely, boosh, 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 in and out. We're out the door. We got, and with the blood, with the violence, but this is the second Fred Rosser match in a row where I'm like, Christ, will this shit ever end? And I don't know who agents this these matches. I don't know. I, like, I don't know who puts these together. This was too much. And whoever booked this to be to go over 20 minutes is, uh, should be chastised. This is ridiculous. 
Now, some of the most exciting spots here, some of the most exciting situations here, uh, involve uh, Tony Storm, who showed up by surprise to help Juice win. She tries to low blow Rosser when he's not looking, and what a reaction she got, by the way. And um, because, you know, look, there's this whole thing, right? Let me just, just in case, just a wee bit of context, right? Is they were doing this angle where Fred Rosser was saying, you know, to Juice Robinson in promos, you're gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have your wife come in and she's gonna watch me beat you. And, and, and then Juice took offense to that. And he's like, don't talk about my wife. Don't do anything with my wife. You know, stay away from my wife, you know, kind of thing. And, and that already sent a weird vibe to me because I'm like, what is Rosser doing? That's a, that, that, that's a heel move. What is he doing? Is he a heel? Is he turning heel? Is that's not a, it's not a baby face thing to do to tell the other guy, I'm going to beat you in front of your wife. That's a very heel thing to do. Let it slide, so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. But then we get to here where Tony runs in, does the blow blow. It doesn't work. He no-sells it. He being uh, Fred Rosser, no-sells the low blow because he has a cup. So he, he reaches in, into his, 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 his pouch and he throws, out the, he throws out the cup and then he plants a kiss on Tony Storm um, which of course, you know, without consent, very weird old school angle thing to do that doesn't necessarily jive with 2023 sensibilities. And the audience reacted appropriately. They were like, whoa, wait a second. You shouldn't be doing this. Commentary was putting over the fact that this is kind of weird. This shouldn't be happening. Now, I get that, you know, Fred Rosser is openly gay. That's and which makes it just all the more incomprehensible. Like, what was the point? You know, not that not that gay guys can't kiss women. Like, I don't like that's not what I mean. It's just yeah, the argument that I heard is like it doesn't matter because he's gay. I'm like it okay no it doesn't matter because he's gay but it, I still don't understand it and if anything it makes it a little more confusing because why would he why would he do it in the first place what is he trying to accomplish what is he trying to do because let's say let's just bring it to the basic let to the basic level okay basic level let's just say um let's just say our boy here uh in the past, let's say a guy would try to plant a kiss on Miss Elizabeth because they wanted to, you know, they wanted to make uh, uh, um, Macho Man Randy Savage angry, jealous, throw him off his game. When Fred Rosser does this, it, Juice could be like, dude, you're, you know, this is like, who cares? If you're kissing my, you know, if, what, what are you trying to do? Like, I don't understand. Like, you have no ulterior motives to this. You know, you could be like, uh, pump the brakes. Other than, hey, don't kiss my wife without her consent kind of thing. Yeah. Like, there's so many things happening in this, in that sequence there, in that moment, where I'm like, none of this makes sense. And whatever way you try to spin it, whether it's juice is oh he's getting juice mad because he didn't ask her for consent oh he's getting just jealous because he's a guy and he's kissing a girl whichever way you spin it 
it ends up looking bad for Rosser, who is supposed to be the babyface. You know? No matter you know, what perspective you want to bring to this, Rosser looks bad because he's the good guy. And the good guy is forcing himself on a woman. Jesus Christ, what are we doing here? I thought the bits with Tony Storm were the most fun of the match because it added it added life. It added energy to what was going on. And there was a sense of urgency. And finally the match started getting into something, but not enough to save it. I didn't like it. I liked the finish. It sucks that we got cheated out of the fistful of quarter spot. And in the build-up to this, I forgot to mention. Juice Robinson cut probably the best promo of his entire career. She said, who? That was just fantastic stuff. Then we had the other middling match where Kenta defeated Hikaleo to regain New Japan Strong open weight title, which he... Just lost a month ago. Now he got it back again. Okay. I mean, clearly, Eddie Kingston versus Kenta has a little more cachet than Eddie Kingston versus Hikaleo. Between you and me. Between us both. Um... There's ref bumps and nonsense and there's this really crazy bump that Hikaleo takes where he gets back body dropped off uh, off the ramp going into the rafters through a table like on the cement. Like that was a, that was a crazy ass bump he took there and uh, Kenta wins by count out off of that. But other than that, again, I look, it sucks that I'm not excited about Kenta matches anymore. I, I, but this is where I, this, this is what Kenta has done to me. This is what Kenta in 2023 has done to me. I mean, this started a while back. And again, it's not his fault, but that he had, you know, let me say that again. It is entirely his fault. You know, the style he worked has pushed his body to this limit where he, he's having difficulties performing like he used to, but then he's also put in matches where he's probably like, why should I go out, go all out here? Like, I know a lot of people like the um, uh, the uh, Eddie Edwards match. I was like, man, all right, you know. I understand the Noah throwback match. All right, in New Japan, all right, I get it. Like, I get everything. And 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 the believer in me wants to go Eddie Kingston versus Kenta. That's going to be violent as hell. But I don't know about Kenta anymore. I don't know. Even five years ago, I'd be excited at the prospect of this match. And now I'm like, I don't know. Is this going to be, like, I, I'm having trouble getting excited. Is this going to be the match where Kent is going to show to me? Oh, yeah, you know, I, I've i been working soft with Hikaleo because who cares? But now I'm in a, I'm in a prime spot, Eddie Kingston. He's going to want to go, so I'm going to turn it up. It could be. It could absolutely be.
But uh, anyway, uh, you can absolutely skip that match. That wasn't uh, that wasn't exciting. Hey, Matt Ritter from the Smackin' It Raw podcast. Nice to see you and welcome. And we've got news, breaking news. Tiffany Stratton is moving forward and is going to be at NXT Battleground this weekend. I think she's a shoe-in now at this point to win. I still stand by why I said earlier where I'd prefer they don't put her in this position just yet, but that's fine. It's fine. But it, it's, it's interesting because this was my idea. Like out of the entire tournament, the entire NXT Women's Championship tournament that they set up, this was ulti- this was my preferred finish. Lyra the Valkyrie Uriah versus Tiffany Stratton. But I was like, no, there's no way they're going to do that. They're going to do uh, Roxanne Perez and, and, and Cora Jones again uh, facing off one another because of their history. Oh, they used to be friends. Oh, I wear my hat backwards now. You know, all that. Um, but no, they completely steer, steered away from that. So good, good. Fresh at the very least. Back to the review. Where were we? Blackpool Combat Club duo of John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta teamed up with Shota Umino. In fact, we should just call it here. We should just simply call it John Moxley and his sons. They defeated the Chaos Trio of Kazuchika Okada, Rocky Romero, and Tomohiro Ishii. I thought this was a blast. This was my match of the night up until... Uh, and I think it still is. It's still a toss-up between the between the, the Monet-Vacare match and this one here because they were both great. These were two fantastic matches. And continuing, continuing to establish this ongoing little nitpicky feud that old man Okada has with all of these youngsters. Like, you know, they're major, major vibes of, um, uh, uh, shit, you know, the, the geek. What's his name? The, the, um. <laughs> the, the, hang on a sec, I'm drawing a complete blank. Uh, um. I am drawing a complete blank when Kaito Kitamiya, Jesus. You know, Okada's year started off with all these young upstarts thinking they're better than him. And he's been taking it personally. He's been he's been pissed off. This Kaito Kiyomiya kid comes into New Japan uh, and and kicks him in the face. And he's like, "You little son of a bitch!" And then oh, all of these guys, yeah, oh, Ren Narita now next. Okada's like, "Fuck you, kid!" And now Shota Umino's going, and he's like, "I got no time for you kids. Who are you people?" Okada right now is so. Good. I am on board 
with pissy old man Okada, even though like he's not even in his mid thirties, or is he? You know, uh, he, he, you know, he, we're we're at a point where he's like, yeah, he is in his mid thirties, thirty five. But all of these kids coming for him. He's like, hey, go, go go off a little bit. And this is this is the story in New Japan right now, and we talked about it after the um, after the Dantaku show. This is the story we're we're telling. Changing of the guard. The old guys are not going to be around forever. So we're upgrading new dudes. And we're giving them some shine. But this is going to be an interesting story moving forward. Where a guy like Kazuchika Okada. You know who's like yes competition. And you know fighting spirit. And so on and so forth. Is just looking at the new guys and saying. No you guys stink. <laughs> I love it. And this was this was really good. And the BCC get a great, a big heel segment here. And uh, and Umino just went after Okada the entire match. He just you know nitpicked at him and, and buzzed around him and just being annoying. So they're setting up because there's going to be, there, there's going to be a match at, at Dominion in two weeks, not this weekend, next weekend, where. Um, where Moxley and Umino are going to be in a match with with Okada again, and so they're do they're creating these connections. And Okada's like, you remember the, the the promo that Okada cut when it was said that you know John Moxley's coming back to New Japan. Okada said to Umino, "Oh, you're bringing oh your babysitters coming back, right? This is all fantastic stuff, and this match ruled, and it just added so many layers to this, and it was all really great." Kazuchika Okada was so pissed off in this match at everything. You know, you got John Moxley going around flipping double birds everywhere. Okada was so pissed off in this match that he flipped double birds of his own, which he normally never does. He keeps his cool. Great stuff. Great match. Highly recommend. JS. J, JS. Jason. PS3. Member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel. How you doing? And welcome. Good to see you again. Uh, then we had the uh, semi-final match in the IWGP United States Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership Tournament, where Will Ospreay defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi to move on. I thought this was very good as well. I thought this was very good. This was not. Um, this was not one of Ospreay's. Or Tana's best matches with each other. It really wasn't. But. It was still good. It was still very good. And I mean you know. I'm like. It's just they've had such great matches together. This was not one of those. But. We are telling. The long story tale here. The Yes yeah, a story tale. We're telling the long tale here. Uh, that Tanahashi. Can't hang anymore. That he's slowly dropping off that he can't keep up with the guys anymore with the younger guys of course and this is going to be a drawn out thing i would say i don't think it's going to be necessarily something that's going to be settled over the the course of a couple of months we might even need a g1 
to put the nail in this one here because uh, Tanahashi is getting older. He's getting a little heavier and you can tell the knees, the back, it is getting to him now. He's not as nimble. He's not getting up as fast. He could be working, but look, people have been saying this for years. Oh, Tanahashi, he's on his way. He's going to be ending up with the dad soon, the New Japan dad soon. He's on his way. Well, I think this is the story they're going to tell. I think this is the story of, and this is in parallel of the Okada story with the young guys, right? Who are, you know, who are the two guys who have defined, you know, this golden age of New Japan, right? That started like, what, 2010, 2011, 2012? It's these two guys. It's Okada and Tanahashi. These are the two guys that define New Japan as we know it today. So it's only normal that you know, now that we're in a, a changing of the guard type of situation where we're changing, uh, as, that we're changing the main characters, essentially, uh, that we need some exits for these top guys. Now, Okada easily got another decade. You know, we're, we're not in the same boat here. But we're, we're, we're going to be talking about elevating new guys to the level of Kazuchika Okada. Whereas Tanahashi, I think the story is the new guys are going to overcome him because... It's it's time because our our ace of the universe, our prime the, the our prime baby face, the face of the company for so long, is just not going to be able to do this anymore. And we're just gonna have to come to grips with it. And I think for the fans' sake, it's going to be an extended story. And it's someone something that we're gonna have to come to grips with. That Tanahashi eventually, probably sooner than later, is going to be opening up the shows with, uh, you know, he's going to be in uh, six-man tags with, uh, you know, the other dads. With uh, Toby Makabe and Hanma and the rest of them. It, I mean, it's inevitable. I'm not saying this like this is like some kind of curse. It's inevitable. And I think we're seeing it more and more. And that, and this is this is absolutely the story that we were telling here, where it's not that. Yes, Osprey was able to run circles around Tanahashi more so than ever because of uh, of physical limitations that Tanahashi has now. But even Tanahashi, on the performing his own moves, isn't as nimble. He's, and it's allowing openings for his opponents that maybe in the past wouldn't have been quite there I enjoyed this match a great deal great storytelling Will Ospreay popping his shoulder back in at the end of the match after a storm breaker and everyone's like come on now brother don't get yourself hurt again I think I think he was working I think he was working but it's just a guess. I couldn't say for certain. This means we're getting at Dominion, Osprey versus Lance Archer. It's good stuff. And finally, the main event for the New Japan Strong in the inaugural New Japan Strong Women's Title Tournament Finals. Willow Nightingale defeated Mercedes Monet in a match that quite unfortunately ended in the worst way 
possible. The worst way you want a wrestling match to finish. Someone getting hurt. Uh, I was enjoying the match up until the, the injury. I thought we were starting to cook. And man, was this crowd hot for this. And this is what, this is another level that makes it so disappointing. It's another level on top of it all. Where the crowd was really into this. And you could tell Willow was overcome. You could tell she, you know, Mercedes, she's been in this position before. She was reveling in it. She was like, yeah, let's fucking go. Willow, you could tell. She was like, oh, this is big time shit for me right now. And she held her own. And both women meshed really well together. I have nothing really to say about the match. Because besides, everything is sort of overwhelmed by the injury where Mercedes just slipped off the top rope and fell. And what is she going to do? She slips off from the top rope to the floor. What does she do? Puts her feet down. You land on your feet. Oh, something happened. Something twisted. Something snapped. We don't know exactly what this state of the injury is. Foot, ankle. But Dave Meltzer did confirm. So uh, before we get into that, we all hope some a a a a, a quick and rapid um, uh, healing process for Mercedes, um, hitting her stride, doing the international thing. What a fucking bummer! This really sucks, and I hope she gets back literally on her feet very very soon. I hope she'll be okay. Because this stinks. This just stinks. Mr. Fantastic, nice to see you, by the way. That doesn't stink. Welcome to the chat. But in regards to the finish, Dave uh, Meltzer confirmed on his notes on uh, Figure 4 Online. He says, just to confirm since most know, but Mercedes Monet was supposed to win the New Japan Strong title last night in the match with Willow Nightingale. She called the audible when she was injured. There's no confirmation on the injury other than we've heard it was either a foot or an ankle injury. So Willow ends up in a completely unexpected situation and I, you know, that was the instinct, that was the gut feeling I had watching the match. I was like, they called an audible. They changed the finish in the ring. That's what I thought. Because she does a doctor bomb, Willow does, and stacks up Mercedes. She's already hurt at this point, right? Stacks her up, one, two, and the referee doesn't count the free, the, the three, despite the fact that Monet's shoulders were clearly on the mat. Like she didn't shrug, she didn't move, but he was like, oh, no, a little bit. But. Uh, so that would lead me to believe that that was not the planned finish. If the planned finish was a doctor bomb or the babe with the power bomb, if that was the planned finish, he would have counted three, straight through, right? But he didn't hear the audible. He didn't hear the women. Uh, she, he didn't hear Monet call call the finish. Language barrier, barrier, who cares? I don't know. But he didn't hear it. So he didn't count the three on the doctor bomb. So then they're like, ugh. So they pick her back up again. 
uh, Willow picks her up again, drops her down, and then and then they're like, make very sure this is the finish, motherfucker. And he gets the he gets the the he counts at that time, and and Willow wins. That was my gut feeling. Because again, it didn't make sense for Willow to win if it, it, when you consider that Bushiroad recontracted uh, um, recontracted Monet, had her lose the IWGP title to have her come and compete for the strong title, which is the title in the United States, which is the title for the United States brand of New Japan. And have so they would have had her tour here as opposed to using the IWGP one, which was supposed to do that anyway, but that's a whole other discussion. But clearly that's what they wanted to do. Because the the strong brand is the is New Japan of America. That's what strong is. It has nothing to do with well, not that it has nothing to do, but it look. They're bringing the strong band brand to Japan and they're making pay-per-views out of it, all right? So there's, you know, there, there's, there's divisions here, if that makes sense. But Mercedes losing, Mercedes losing as the plan finished doesn't make sense. It, j- it doesn't jive with me, it doesn't connect. But good for Willow. And Willow is in a tremendous position right now. Title, she's off a hot match, and things are go- things have been going up, upward, 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 upward for her, right? Like she, you know, she does a couple of matches on Dark last year for for um, Ring of Honor, well for AEW, and then she works Ring of Honor a bit. And people just take an immediate shine to her. And the reason why is simple. This woman is charismatic like it is crazy impossible to be. She is a one of these hard-on-your-sleeve type of wrestlers where who, you know, she's pretty, mu- pretty much what you see is what you get. Not unlike Eddie Kingston, you know. Charismatic as hell. And, you know, at least, you know, AEW, Ring of Honor, there's not another wrestler, another women wrestler who wrestles like her. You know, with the emphasis on strength and power and no one. Nyla. But then we don't see Nyla much, do we? So she's been on an upward trajectory and it's fantastic and good for her. Like if there is one... I guess shining star out of all of this is that a very likable and appreciated and good person in pro wrestling got herself a title and is a champion in a in an international in an internationally based promotion. Good for her. Off of a big match, off of a stupid botch. Just a, a silly, dumb, it's not even a botch, a, a mistake, an error. It's such a shame. But I am so happy for our girl, Willow Nightingale, who is your new open weight, strong women's champion. Is it open weight? It is not open weight. There's no 
weight divisions and women's divisions, I guess. So yeah, so that was uh, New Japan, uh, New Japan Strong Resurgence. Again, I thought this was a very good show. Overall, I think in you know, despite despite the bummer finish, which I kind of hoped, which in retrospect you're kind of like, I wish it would have been better. I wish it would have ended on another note. Of course, we all do. Um, and despite the two middling matches in, in, in the middle, which sort of dragged it down a little bit, I think this is a very good pro wrestling show and is worth your time. There's a lot of good stuff on it. I enjoyed it. Recommended. And really quickly, just to wrap this up, we'll probably talk about it more next week. You were right, Kristen. Little update on the Best of Super Juniors 30. Uh, we are in the home stretch for uh, for the tournament. We have we already have uh, semi finalists. We well we have the block finalists set up for the uh, for the 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 um, for block A heading into the uh, heading into the playoffs as Kevin Kelly calls them. But uh, before we talk about that, Taiji Shimori unfortunately got injured on the May twenty first show. In his match against Hiromu. Uh, here's the statement from New Japan. Taiji Shimori sustained an injury to his cervical vertebrae. As a result, he will not be cleared to compete for the remainder of the Best of Super Junior Tour. After being given an assessment, Shimori was discharged and is able to recuperate at home. He is currently comfortable and is able to move normally, but does not have a timetable for return to the ring at this time. That... That sucks. That is a bad injury. And if he does, that's like, we're talking, we're talking uh, highly invasive surgeries if we want to come back from this. And if he does come back from it, we're not going to have the same Taiji Shimori. You can bet on that. This sucks. And it really stinks. And I hope Taiji Shimori gets... Um, uh, get, gets better soon. It's good news to hear that he's moving. Uh, that he's you know not in con constant pain. If he's currently comfortable, like these are you know good things to hear. But holy smokes, this stinks! Like there, you can't sugarcoat this. This is a bad. This is a bad, bad, bad injury. And otherwise, look, the tournament has been very good. Um, I think maybe next week we'll talk about top matches and whatnot. Uh, I watched today, like there's a couple, right? There's a couple really great matches. El Desperado versus Francesco Akira from May 21st, which is just absolutely bananas. And I think it's my favorite match of the tournament. Just a fantastic, that finish, if you know what I'm talking about. That finish with the numero dos being applied over and over and over again. With Despe standing up, doing standing versions of it. Awesome stuff. Akira not wanting to give up. Great, like a memorable match. 
might just squeeze into my match of the year stuff. Mike Bailey, Leo, Leo Rush. What a treat. What a fucking treat. That will happen last night or today, depending, you know, May 23rd. Awesome. So much great stuff throughout. Well, maybe deep dive into it a little more next week, but that goddamn match, folks. Like, if there's one right now, they're like, Warren, I just need to watch. Tell me which one to go watch and I'll go watch it. Desperado Francesco Akira, May 21st. That is a much, it's much, it's must watch. I loved it. But now we are in, we're in the crux of things. We're at the, the last legs of the tournament. Here's what's left. We, we have our winners for Block A, Mike Bailey and Titan, who um, upset Hiromu Takahashi today to move forward. And, um, you know, here's the thing. And it's the same thing with the G1. We get to a point where we start thinking about all the scenarios, right? And we start to, oh, but what if this guy wins here? He'll spoil that guy on that night. And we come up with all these scenarios. But Gato's booking is Occam Razor. It's what is the simplest, most exciting thing. Put my top guys in the last two nights in positions where either guys can win. That's all. So we had Mike Bailey versus... Leo Rush, who were both at 12 points. In fact, look, Mike Bailey, Titan, Leo Rush, Hiromu were all at 12 points. Uh, Titan was at 10, excuse me. So if Titan had wanted a, 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 an opportunity to, uh, to make it to the, uh, to the finals, he, uh, he had to win his match against Hiromu, who was at 12 points. Um, so, Mike Bailey was at 12, Leo Rush and Hiromu, they were all at 12, Titan at 10. So, we have Mike Bailey in versus Leo Rush, Mike Bailey wins. So, immediately we know, even if Hiromu Takahashi, so even if Hiromu wins his match against Titan, he is the runner-up. He doesn't win the block, he's the, he's the runner-up. But he loses against Titan, who is at 12 points, they're tied. So that means that Hiromu Takahashi loses the block because Titan has the tiebreaker. See, simple stuff. It's it's not overtly complicated. It's just very Occam's razor stuff. Uh, Leo Rush. Leo Rush had his match against Titan uh, previously a few nights ago and he lost to Titan. So even though Leo Rush is at 12 points, Titan has the tiebreaker. So Titan moves forward as the runner-up. So um, so yeah, so those, so those are set. So Mike Bailey is going to win. Is going to, his next match is going to be in the uh, semifinals of the tournament against the runner-up of Block B, and the winner of Block B will take on Titan. Then, well, Block B, let's take a look at it because this is upcoming, right? This is the next uh, This is the next one on our list here. We've got um, Yo, El Desperado, and Master Wato all tied at 12. And Robbie Eagles at 
10. And this is this is going to be um, this is going to be the setup of the uh, of the final night here. Now, what if we go go take a look and we'll see at the you know uh, what the matches are set up for um, on May twenty four. So you know basically there's a chance that while you're listening to this, we're already done. Uh, but we have El Desperado versus Eagles. Master Watto has a match against Kevin Knight, and Yo has a match against uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So here, it's a little more interesting what can happen here because you only in the final four that we have here, Despe, Yo, Watto, and Eagles. Only El Desperado and Robbie Eagles are facing each other one on one in these final four. So it could possibly be. That Robbie Eagles might tie El Desperado at 12 points if he wins. And depending on the result, that could, uh, of the other match between Yo and Master Watto, well, in fact, that will secure most likely Robbie Eagles, right? Let's see, let me see Robbie Eagles here. Just before I say something. So for, okay, so for Robbie Eagles to win the block, he has to. <laughs> Or at least to be at least at the very least runner-up. He has to beat El Desperado in the one-on-one -on -one match. And Master Watto has to lose. Because right now, Master Watto has the uh has the tiebreaker on Eagles. So at 12 points each. No, I mean, hang on a second. I don't think. I'm looking at this. No, there, honestly, there's no way for Robbie Eagles to win this. Because even if... Because Yo and Master Watto both have a tiebreaker on... They both have a tiebreaker on Robbie Eagles. See, I, I think this is already too complicated and I don't think this is what Gato's going to do. So if Robbie Eagles defeats Desperado, he's at 12... He's at 12 points. He beats El Desperado, who is also at 12. But then even if Yo or Master Watto win, Robbie Eagle still loses against those. Like we're going to end up with a four-way tie. And there's going... I, I And I don't... See, I don't think Gato's going to do this. Because see, this is where we start getting into the nitty-gritty where... Well, they're all at 12 points, but Robbie Eagles lost to Watto and Yo, so they have the tiebreaker over him. Uh, but Yo uh, uh, defeated, Yo has the tiebreaker over Watto and uh, Desperado. So he could, you know, it's already too complicated. So look. El Desperado right now has the tiebreaker over Watto. He still has to beat Robbie Eagles, but he lost to Yo. So either so I think it's a shoe-in that El Desperado ends up in the block finals. 
in the playoffs. But then it'll either be Yo or Master Wato at 12 points. Because they're, they're going to keep Robbie Eagles out of it. Robbie Eagles is going to stay at 10. He's not going to be involved in this. And then Yo or Master Wato are going to win their match. One of these two guys is going to go to 14 points to tie up with Desperado. And it's going to... And this all depends on the matches here. Yo is fighting Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And Master Wato is fighting Kevin Knight. So Kanemaru or Kevin Knight has the potential... Either of those guys are going to spoil the tournament for Wato or Yo. If I'm looking at the standings right now, Kevin Knight is at six, Kanemaru is at four. I would absolutely see Yoshinobu Kanemaru picking up a big final night win, six points, which would mean Wato would go to the finals. Which honestly would be a pretty bold move. What you know, we probably expect Yo more to be in the in the playoffs. But I can absolutely see Kanemaru spoiling it for Yo. I could see Master Wato defeating Kevin Knight. Wato's had a pretty good tournament overall. He's been booked fairly strong. That's an interesting one. I don't know where, where, which way we're going to go with this, but I can tell you one thing. There's not going to be a four-man tag. Like, I'm not even going to waste any more breath on it when I started realizing that Robbie Eagles had, you know, had tiebreakers with Watto and Yo. So if he wins, it becomes a, 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 a fuck shit fuck up of 12 points everywhere. I'm not interested. Like, the only thing that could really be Something like the only other possibility is Robbie Eagles. That makes sense. That follows the Occam Razor style, right? Robbie Eagles defeats El Desperado. That brings El Desperado to 12. So we got the four guys at 12. But Master Wato defeats Kevin Knight. And Yo defeats Kanemaru. 14 points. Both Yo and Wato go forward. That's the only other simple and to the point thing. But I really think Desperado is going forward. Especially since Hiromu is not in the blocks. And remind, need I remind you, pats on the back, victory lap here. What did I tell y'all? I told you at the beginning of this tournament, before there was a single match, I told you on night one we're getting Mike Bailey versus Hiromu Takahashi. And I told you, if Hiromu Takahashi loses night one, he is losing the block. Because everything else won't make sense. Because it's not going to work. And look at where we are here. So we're this much closer to best of Super Juniors finals. I predict the finals to be Mike Bailey and El Desperado with El Desperado being the junior, the, the winner of the tournament this year. And not because Mike Bailey is, is stinks or he's bad or he doesn't deserve it. Clearly, with the focus that New Japan put on their own talent this year, as opposed to bringing in people from all sorts of different promotions, AEW, Impact, Gleet. 
all guys from New Japan. Mike Bailey, sure, from representing Impact, but Bailey's worked New Japan shows in America. They know who, and he's no stranger to Japan. Dan Maloney. And that's pretty much it. So, I think this was a focus. I think this is a focus on reigniting the Japanese side of uh, uh, of the uh, of the tournament of the of the division, getting people excited about it because this everything ruled here. This was a fantastic tournament. Not all nights are great, but the good stuff was really really good. And I would not be surprised, and I know this is going to come to the chagrin of many people, I would not be surprised that that the G1 this year comes back to the regular two-block, ten-man uh, setup, kind of like we had here. Focus on New Japan guys, maybe one or two outsiders, and it won't be the, you know, the cavalcade of, of great heavyweight wrestlers from all around the world. How many guys from AEW are going to be in it, like... I think everyone needs to temper their expectations. If if they did this with the best of super juniors and kept the outsiders to a minimum, because look, even Titan is a New Japan guy now. He's in LIJ. You know, despite it all, they're going to focus on their people. They might bring in people from Strong, like they did with Tom Lawler, right? But they're not going to bring in, you know, don't expect like four or five AEW guys. Sure, I'm still holding out hope for the Brian Danielson G1 run. Of course, who wouldn't? But uh, all I'm saying is don't, don't, don't expect this influx of all these wild and wacky characters. From New Japan is rebuilding itself. It's recreating itself. We talked about this. It's redefining its uh, its cast of characters, if you if you will. What better opportunity to do it for the heavyweights than in the G1? So instead of bringing in people from Reft and Light, Reft Reft and Light, Light Lip, fuck, right and left. <laughs> it's time to stop the stream, Warren. Despite the despite all of that, you want to. Focus on the younger guys that you're pushing. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Narita, uh, Suji, Umino. You want to focus on those guys. Give them a preeminent place as opposed to bringing in some guy from All Japan or RevPro or AEW. You want to, that's what you want to do? I think, oh, you know, I'm just saying, for anyone who's like, you know, rubbing their hands together and, you know, oh boy, can't wait to see all the guys from, all the stars from AEW in this tournament. I'm just telling you, very gently, temper your expectations. Pump the brakes because New Japan is in a rebuilding mode. It is a New Japan first vision. We saw it here in this tournament. You still get the international flair. Because that's good with the Mike Baileys and the and the Dan Maloney's and Titans, you know, you get the international flair, but you focus on your guys, which is why the finals 
of the blocks, the, the winners of the, fi- of, the, of the semifinals will be El Desperado, Mike Bailey, and El Desperado will be the best of Super Juniors champion. And it won't be Hiromu Takahashi, and I told you that from the get-go. The minute he lost against Mike Bailey, I told you, I told you before! If he loses against Mike Bailey, he's losing the block. Time for another victory lap. Tell me I don't understand booking and Gato's booking. Ha! Pasha! Yeah, we could get Kento Miyahara in here, of course. So this is like a, you know, I'd be much more excited to get Kento Miyahara than, uh, you know, sending Lance Archer again just because we have to have an AEW presence. Does that make sense? I, and I don't mind. I like Lance Archer, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's not an exciting G1 prospect. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Weekly Wrestling Inspection. <laughs> tonight we did good we did a long fucking stream because that you know we start the show live right we start the show before recording when we do it live on thursdays tuesdays youtube.com slash mr warren hayes 7 p.m if you ever want to come in we have a good time so we've been doing this since seven i'm uh four hours into this now some great audio once again hey but listen Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for being here. If you were watching live and you stuck to the very end, you are a champ. You are a pro. And I appreciate it. If you're watching on demand, you're a champ. You're a pro. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it on top of that if you leave a like. And if you subscribe, also, if this is the first time you're here, hit the bell gimmick and all that stuff. That helps out a great deal. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast application, thank you so much for uh, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. It helps grow the podcast tremendously. Join the Discord as well right here. Don't forget to check out my AEW Double or Nothing 2023 preview that I did with special guest Jesse Collins of the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast and WrestleNomics and Voices of Wrestling. He's all over the fucking place. We did that, we recorded that this weekend and it's out there right now for you to enjoy. Um, In the meantime, I will be back on Thursday for the Dynamite review, Go Home, for to review the Go Home Dynamite, that's mostly it. And then next week, we'll be back for another edition of the Mr. Warren Hay Show, where we will be reviewing AEW Double or Nothing, NXT Battle Nights, Battleground, Battle Time, Battle Fight. And on top of that, we will also be talking about the best of Super Juniors. I already have a stacked show, hopefully CM Punk keeps quiet so that we can actually you know have fun talking about pro wrestling well who am i kidding it makes for great content i'm not i i'm pretending i'm sitting here complaining with a full belly of topics to talk about i'm not going to pretend sit here and pretend that cm punk shenanigans are not good for business okay i of course i'd like to talk about more stuff but if he if he starts you know taking dumps on the side of the street and putting it on Instagram. You're goddamn right I'm talking about it. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time.